0: Thank you Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and this is my co-host, Scott... Scott? Yeah? Why are you clutching your hand to your chest?
1: Huh? I I don't know, habit?
0: Do you have a square of someone's flesh tucked in there?
1: What? No. Yes, this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bill's world of totally normal statues, emotional reunions, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week on the show, we are wrapping up Arc 16 with Chapter 16.Z, and then starting Arc 17 Sundown with 17.1 and 17.2. First up, it's the conclusion to Amy's interludes, where we find out exactly what happened back at the Shin Prison Hospital. And it's, uh, not good. Then... It's sundown on Earth Gimel as Victoria and company suffer the consequences of their nighttime adventure. Fortunately, everything wraps up with some of the most emotional reunions ever. Ward is such a, a feel-good book. <laughs> Matt, what do you think of these two chapters?
0: You know, I, I know you're being tongue-in-cheek with that, but that, genuinely, the reason the book works so well is that it has these fantastic scenes of heartwarminess. Um But, but yeah, overall, uh, just the Amy stuff, 16.z... Brilliant writing, doing really interesting structural things with, with these two Amy interludes, completely fucked up and disturbing. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then then really some fairly unusual arc beginning chapters, you know. Like we, we like to talk about how uh the arcs tend to begin in a similar way, um, with Victoria kind of getting a chance to touch base with, with her life and how things are. And this she's kind of thrown into the deep end here. She's immediately getting interrogated. Um, if anything, 17.2. Uh, is structured more like a typical arc opener chapter,
1: right? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Sure.
0: So yeah, no, I I, I love all these. Uh, you know, as 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 last week we're gonna be going through three chapters, uh, and then no no discussion question uh, discussion uh, afterward. Um, yeah. Yeah,
1: But we did – I mean we did just generally ask people what they thought of the Amy interlude in last – we didn't have a formal discussion question. And I think it's still worth going back to that thread and checking that out because I think there was a lot of great answers in there. Uh, I mean Sarah Penguin in particular did this really long, um, really analytical study of Amy and, and the personality disorder that she has mm-hmm. or, or the, that Sarah Penguin thinks she has that I think lines up very well. It is way more knowledgeable about that disorder than I – could ever be. So, um, I thought that was just a really great post. I liked that a whole bunch. And there's a bunch of other really great comments in that thread worth checking out.
0: Yeah. I really, really enjoyed the Sarah Penguin post and and I do recommend it. Um, I, I I was trying to put together something about Amy having an attachment disorder and I was going to do that and then talk about it on the show. And then, and then I just couldn't make it work. I was like, Oh, this Mm -hmm. is, I'm I'm just wrong about this. this. This doesn't fit. And then I saw what, what Sarah Penguin posted and I was like, Oh, that's, Way, way, way better yeah, than what I was yeah. going to say. So, yeah, that, that was really good stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, All right.
0: Cool. All right. So, quick announcements first. Uh, some of you may have noticed, if <laughs> if you're listening to this, that uh, our YouTube channel is currently, I don't know, what's the word? They said terminated.
1: <laughs> uh, well, speak. it's weird because <laughs> they said terminated, but it also says suspended, which those two words but, mean very different things. They,
0: they mean very different things. So, we're we're appealing it. We'll see what happens. Um, uh, I mean, we're not actually in the wrong. It was just I mean, just bad luck and bad timing and so yeah. forth with, with we were, uh, we were, Yeah.
1: Yeah, we were uploading our old Media MD episodes. Our friends at MediaMD MD were trying to get their backlog up on our content. So people want to listen to all the media MD episodes, they can. Um and we did them kind of a bulk process and bulk to YouTube equals spam, mm-hmm. and they don't like spam, and so they flagged us for uploading spam. And that's an immediate termination slash suspension of account. We have appealed it. Um, we're just waiting. I, I, I think you're right, Matt, that w- I think we're in the right here. We did not break. We did not do anything wrong. Um, so it just got to see if they they agree with us on that. So right. hopefully any day now it's going to be back up.
0: Yeah. And we don't really know how long it'll take, um, but yeah. we'll keep you all posted.
1: If you are a normal YouTube listener, um, well, if you're listening to this right now, it means congratulations. You found it in other places um <laughs> so good job but uh our, our episode is still available everywhere else that it, it, it can be found to so the website all of our other platforms just not youtube right now so
0: yeah right we'll be fixed yeah we will all right next announcement uh, the fan art contest has ended uh and this quarter's winner is your kid by aquila um and the runner-up is right hand by helen c which is actually a piece of pact fan art so congratulations to these two winners mm-hmm. um, and you can check out the images uh on uh, on the website uh and the, the link is below in the show notes sure yeah. uh and yeah these are these are you know as always really fantastic pieces of art and i'm you know happy that we're you know, kind of privileged to be able to, to host this uh contest
1: yeah it's a lot of fun um to, to both of our winners we will be reaching out to you via email very shortly um to contact you about arranging getting your winnings to you um but seriously amazing work everyone I, I love this contest and I, I still remember the first time we did it Matt and we were like very nervous because we were like what if nobody sends us anything uh-huh. that's going to be really awkward or we get like one entry and are like all right patrons vote um on one yep. uh, and it's it's never happened that way you guys are such talented artists and and you really participate and it's it's a lot of fun thank you
0: absolutely yeah
1: speaking of things that participating in
0: yep uh the halloween costume contest has started uh so please send us a picture of yourself or i guess someone else who gives consent um yeah preferably
1: you know this person
0: yeah uh wearing some kind of parahumans affiliated halloween costume um send it to uh uh got what what is it
1: (laughs) what's the the email (laughs) It's gotwarmpod at Uh, gmail.com. You can also find all the rules for that contest in the show notes for this episode and at our website, doofmedia.com. So go check that out, and you'll find that email address that Matt can't remember, and all the rules and regulations and all that nonsense. This is is the second year we've done this costume contest, and it it was very successful the first year. We were thrilled by it. Um, The winner of the first year was someone with an amazing Panacea costume, and I kind of (laughs) wonder... Uh I don't know if we're going to see as many of those this year.
0: Well, I was thinking about that and I'm like, well, she's definitely is definitely a lot scarier of a costume than they may have realized at the time.
1: True. True. Yeah. So,
0: um, yeah. And of course, there's prize money associated with that. So, yep. Yep. Check that
1: out. And All of these prizes are funded by our incredible patrons. So thank you to our patrons for making these contests possible. It's only because of you we can do this. We love, you know, having these contests and we love getting to give people real prizes. And it's because of you we can do it.
0: Alright, let's get into these chapters. 16.z, final chapter of arc 16 begins and right. we pick <laughs> pretty much right up from 16.y uh, with Amy telling herself now, I've surrounded myself with lunatics and the mentally ill. It's just a coincidence, Amy.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to a time when I don't have to be in Amy's head for a while. Um <laughs> next week, I can't wait. Yeah. But I I love I really like this opening. Um this I've surrounded myself with lunatics because it it does perfectly kind of mirror the opening of 16.Y, right? One of the first things Amy says to herself or or has said is that uh, she was always surrounded by people that were better than her at this. Um, That's kind of one of the first lines of that chapter. So it's a really nice reflection back to that. We've gone from months in the past to now, and now she's surrounded herself with lunatics. And, And one of the things I found really interesting about this, Matt, is how the the voice shifts in the first chapter, it was passive, right? Like Amy was always surrounded by these people. It's out of her control. She was surrounded by these people here. It's active. I've surrounded myself with these lunatics. I've surrounded myself with these mentally ill people. And my first read on this, like the first time I read through it, I was like, oh, maybe this is a this is a good sign. She's more active. She's taking responsibility. She's she's saying that she's made this choice. But it's not really that, is it?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, In actuality, I think Amy's decision here to surround herself with lunatics and the mentally ill is kind of part of the whole good person shtick, right? By surrounding herself with these other people that are, at least in her mind, unquestionably worse than her, it's very easy to set herself up as the good one. She says later in this chapter, I'm the only sane one. I'm the only good one. And it's because I've chosen to surround myself with these bad people. Um, and and it's it's all part of that same thing. It's still it's still a part of that thing.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. And and I really like your your take that, like, oh, she's taking a more, she's taking more responsibility. It's 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 a more active way of 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 looking at it. Um because really it, it does seem intentional, right? It's not I'm surrounded with lunatics and the mentally ill. It's she she actually sort of recognizes that she did this but if anything she feels like she did it for good reasons which is weird like it's a weird kind of double think that's consistently seen throughout everything amy does where she'll simultaneously like take responsibility for the good aspects of something while denying responsibility for the bad aspects of it even though they're the same like they're two sides of the same coin they're the same thing yeah Um, yeah it's just like constant mental maneuvering to not have to admit any fault
1: yeah and I, I don't know if we've like probably have but i want to give a lot of credit to the writing for that because i don't think that's that's a simple thing to write you know you have to you have to kind of layer double meaning into each one of your character statements and, and one of the things we're not going to call out every time because it's it's literate throughout this chapter is just these small subtle ways in which the chapter reinforces that double think that just the, the way she like almost almost Subconsciously words things to push away blame from her mm-hmm. like I don't even think she realizes it half the time
0: Oh No, no, I, I, I agree Yeah, no, there's so many good examples of that and, and we've pulled out a few but there's probably more we didn't even catch um, yeah. Yeah. absolutely brilliant like distancing language Just just sing single word choices. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about some of those mm-hmm. so yeah, um, amy's you know, as we start this chapter, taking comfort in having a docile and mind-controlled girl who looks just like Victoria nearby. Uh, she also appreciates having a goblin curled up in her scarf, occasionally uh, licking her. Lots of really healthy stuff going on here.
1: Yeah, Oh, totally. It's, it's great. Um And what I love most about this whole just like Victoria thing is that she doesn't... Hunter doesn't actually look like Victoria. I mean, besides has blonde hair and is girl like that's about it. And I think the text goes out of its way to, to make that clear, right? Like Victoria, but like Victoria, but like Victoria, win. It, it is so absurd, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like you, you read this sentence and you, your responses and my initial response the first time I read it was, Oh, so, so, so not, not like Victoria then. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't matter Her And there's, there's one, there's one part I really love. And I don't remember if we pulled it out specifically, but, this idea that like she she said she sees later she sees Hunter and she's like got the snow around her, the slow in her snow in her eyelashes. And she's looking like she doesn't have a care in the world. And she sees that and she, she sees that as Victoria. And I'm like, at what point in Victoria's life did she look like she didn't have a care in the world? Like, that's just yeah. an, a, the, no, that's not Victoria right. at all. And you
0: know that, Amy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's it's so we we I guess we we could have talked about this last week, but it's just as well to talk about this week. The fact that um when Victoria confronted Amy about Hunter in the first place and she was like, yeah, let me guess. She's blonde. And uh-huh. and, and everybody in the room was like, oh, that's that's fucked up. And and even we were like and, and Amy like looked ashamed. Well, that's that's like even more true, like than Victoria could have known. Like like it's, it's not just like. It's not just like Amy was subliminally thinking, oh she you know on some on some subconscious level was aware that there was a similarity to Victoria. Amy literally likes keeping her around because she's physically reminiscent of Victoria, which is yeah. just so creepy and unhealthy.
1: Yeah, well and then there's uh, we're jumping all around here and I think it's just cuz this, this chapter's so good. I just want to talk about all of it. But the the idea that she doesn't want to fix her. Like, yeah. like she's having trouble. She can't get this right. And there's an idea that, that on some subconscious level fixing Hunter means Hunter stops being there. Hunter goes away. Mm-hmm. Hunter leaves. Um, and she doesn't want that.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. So, yeah. So as they walk through the snow toward a mysterious destination, Marquis and Chris, um, argue, <laughs> debate, needle each other like children. Um, anyway, they, they talk over how they're going to divide their forces betwixt themselves. Uh, there's something about this interaction, to me personally, that really emphasizes to me that Marquis is like a fucking child. <laughs> like, it, it, Marquis just really, for some reason, rubs me the wrong way in this chapter in, in a way that he hasn't before. I, I'm, it'll be interesting to see if I can put my finger on it in, in this conversation. but, But anyway... In this conversation, Marquis seems to be almost entirely concerned with his team being a mutual fit, whereas Chris doesn't care about that. He just wants strong powers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right about Marquis rubbing you the wrong Like, I think that's true with just about every character in this chapter. And and I think on some level, I think it's because Amy's point of view is kind of emphasizing their worst traits, hmm. Because it makes her look better in comparison, mm. in her mind. Of course, we know that's not actually true. But this idea, and I think there's comfort in that for Amy. I think we're, we're going to talk about masks and about this idea and I, I, a lot this chapter. And I think that uh, Amy has surrounded herself with these people intentionally. She surrounded herself with these people as a sort of defense against a, the person she knows she is. And I think emphasizing their worst traits, their most childish, their most petty traits is a way of separating their behavior from her behavior.
0: I love this idea that like the reason why Marquis and even even Mark in this chapter comes off as worse than usual is kind of point of view contamination. That's that's Mm -hmm. really interesting. I hadn't thought of that,
1: which is not to say that Marquis isn't like kind of a petulant child sometimes anyway let's not to say like i don't want to make sh- these characters are actually wonderful and it's just because of amy's point of view that we're seeing their badness it's like no i think these are all not great people but i do think the text is kind of emphasizing that in in specific ways because you're right he he is a child here and, and chris is a child too right. i mean chris is like literally a child sort of Basically, man. this book is yeah. confusing <laughs> to talk about sometimes too
0: but he's also in his late 30s or something yeah,
1: right, right right um I, I, it, it is it is serving to to draw a pretty specific line between who they are, right? Like Marcus is this person that cares about team cohesion. He wants a team that works well together. Uh, Chris just wants wants all the big hitters. He wants all the home run people. Mm-hmm. They can all just hit their own home run, hit their solo home runs, and he thinks he'll win that way. Yeah, he might not be wrong.
0: He might not be. Yeah, I mean, he he wants uh, he wants uh, Johnny Shambles. I, I wonder if uh, I wonder if Johnny Shambles is the same Johnny from Building C, Room 4, who ate his hands for biomaterial. Could be. Yeah. I also wonder if we're learning hints and personal details about these other capes, like Ads, Gosling, Screwdriver, because we're going to meet them at some point.
1: I think that'd be fun. Um, I think it works on its own as just we're, we're using these characters as a way to reflect off of the people who are choosing them, but I also think it is very possible that this is just laying some pieces down to pick up later
0: yeah yeah that's a good point yeah so marquis continues to behave as though it's impossible to communicate in any idiom other than really really violent concepts (laughs) like describing snow falling through taillights being reminiscent of pus and blood which i have to admit i've been around a lot of snow and taillights and i've never made that connection myself
1: nope nope never um what i what i really like about this though matt is how Wildbow has constructed this. So Marquess's dialogue echoes Amy's narrative, like the narrative of the story. So like, like we're hearing a slash of the dull gray, the dull red of taillights captured by thick snowfall, plumes of white turned dark gray, by, by darkness. And then the next line is a slash of human misery and desperation. Like it, it mirrors that it mirrors what Amy just thought or what the, the text just thought through Amy's point of view. And I think that's wonderful. I mean, like, Honestly, I, I, I've i just been reading a lot of Stephen King books that have um, telepathic characters in it. So like I'm very used to this idea of someone thinking something and then someone saying something about that thought because that's what happens in both uh, Dr. Sleep and, and The Institute or two books that I've just read. So the first time I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what's happening. I was like, wait a minute. No, nobody's reading any minds here. <laughs> and so it just becomes this moment where you realize kind of how – in sync these characters are kind of like I I think to me that's what it shows is that that Amy and and Marquis in in a way are kind of similar in ways that I don't think Amy would be very comfortable with
0: yeah and like the worst ways
1: yeah yeah because Amy Amy is like completely disgusted by his interpretation Mm -hmm. of this she's like that's really I shouldn't say gross I forget what she says but like he was very close to the same page she was on and and the yeah. repetition of that word slash and, and talking about the same thing that Amy just happens to be looking at, I think, sends that image.
0: Right. It's almost like she brings out the worst in him. And I mean, this is a bit tinfoily, but like the fact that both this chapter and the last chapter, like she asked him last chapter, like, please talk about soothing, calming things. And he's like. Uh-huh surgery without anesthesia was, was horrifying. And it's like, <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? Like you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, not stupid. Are you doing this on purpose or are you just like, like, so, so it almost, it puts me in the position of like either Marquis is doing this on purpose because he's trying to like perturb Amy or he's actually a bit off kilter because of the situation they're in. Right. Um, sure. I'm not sure which of those it is or, you know, some third option, obviously, but
1: yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Hmm. So there's this one part here I just want to talk to you about a little bit. It's, it's more of Marquis and Amy's conversation, where uh, Marquis is saying her, to her, sometimes we need to take a scalpel to the wounds. A transplant requires a bit of tough medicine to prevent rejection, doesn't it? I don't want to be the tough medicine, Amy's voice came out more unsure than she meant to. If it comes down to it, my daughter, Marquis murmured, his voice just for her. I'll be the tough. You can be the medicine. This is one of those things that, like, sounds really great, but... Matt, what does that mean?
0: <laughs> uh it means he's gonna be the one who directly is violent while she uses her power to do horrible things. Uh,
1: that's still tough. Like yeah. it's just like it's it's I mean it's it's really it's like, like a platitude that right. is meaningless. Like it, yeah. it, it it comforts her in a way. Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything. And
0: you know, you've you've brought him talking about scalpels and wounds and transplants and medicine and rejection. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, like it, I'm really thinking there's something to this idea that like he was talking about his father, who was a doctor at surgery with anesthesia last chapter. Now he's talking about uh, transplants, surgery. So like his daughter is a healer. His father was a healer. He he seems to be in kind of a weird place right now. <laughs> yeah. Because um, he, he just kind of can't stop talking about surgery. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it seems it seems intentional that Marquis can't stop talking about surgery.
1: I mean, one of the things that I think is like kind of the hidden underbelly of this chapter is how afraid of Amy. All these characters might be. Yeah. Um, something that she would be entirely ignorant to. And I think there are little beats and little hints of this on and on throughout the chapter. But yeah, it, it's definitely not textual. But I, I think it's there and I think well, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I
0: think this next bit is actually supportive because Amy's thinking about how they've all been keeping an eye on Hunter And she thinks most often it was Amy and someone else. Amy and Marquis, Amy and Mark, Amy and Chris each came with their own anxieties. Marquis was the the bad influence. Chris, the worst one. Mark was too good an influence, which made Amy think he'd turn Hunter against her. So one one way of reading this is that this is actually Marquis, Mark and Chris rotating to keep an eye not on um, Hunter, but on Amy.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I love that. I love that. That's a great catch. I think that's I think you're absolutely right there.
0: And also, of course, it's amusing, uh, darkly amusing that she doesn't wonder if she might be an influence or or a bad influence as it doesn't consider at all um, in her in her rumination that she might be a bad influence on uh, on Hunter.
1: Yeah, I mean, not only does it does she not see her ability to be a bad influence on Hunter, but she's worried about these these other people and how they are influencing Hunter and doesn't stop for a second to think of how they might be influencing her. Like you've 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 surrounded yourself with these people and you're not worried about how they're influencing you at all. Right. That's ridiculous. Yeah,
0: Yeah, Um, right. That's, that's too more, much time. Yeah,
1: like like this line right here. Too much time with Dot would make this new Hunter even more unhinged. Too much time with Marquis would make the girl a villain. Too much time with Chris would make her a monster. None <laughs> of this, of course, re- applies to herself at all, right? Just Hunter. She not not me, Amy. I'm the only sane one. I'm the only good one. Right. I- in aggregate. Inag- yeah. Inag- yeah. Like she she feels the need to clarify with well, inaccurate in, yeah. in the utilitarian sense, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's more of this fantastic Amy doublespeak where um, she's screwed up because of her mom and and her dad and mm-hmm. her upbringing. Um, and yet now in the present, uh, nothing can influence her. She's she's the good person. She's iconic. She's a rock. And and then and then like a year from now, anything that goes wrong here is totally going to be Marquess's and uh, Hunter's and Chris's fault. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. 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 It, it's, it's constant. Uh, it's a constant tactic of being able to never have to feel bad about something.
1: It's kind of brilliant in it's awful <laughs> way. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm, I mean, like, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure she's miserable, but <laughs> I
1: mean, just going to keep on keeping on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful.
0: Yeah so another another great so so this is one of those those minor word choice things that i just love um easier to take care of it sorry that easier to take care of it herself to take as much time as she could supervising and trying to fix her damn powers mess not her own mess her powers mess fuck off amy
1: yeah yeah i i agree that's a really great thing um there's another one a little later where she calls her power princess something mm-hmm. i forget what, what what it was but I really, yeah, I really like that because she's the red queen, and she's dubbed her power princess. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if she's created this hierarchy in which she's the queen, she's in control, um, while not acknowledging at all that the princess is the one running the castle.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I I like that a lot, and I also just like the idea that she has this lovey affectionate moniker for her power, which contrasts so beautifully with. The wretch you know just the, yeah. the most the most uh, pejorative possible name, right so I like that a lot it's, a, like great a, lot. it's a great contrast it's great mirror yeah. so she reflects then on how different people recharge in different ways, which I swear is something that Victoria has reflected on before
1: I'm like ninety nine percent sure you're right yeah. there I, I I'm not comfortable enough to say a hundred, well, but I feel I'm, like it I feel like it has I'm a
0: hundred percent sure that Blake Thorburn has reflected on it before, but that well, doesn't that's pre- not. Doesn't really it's help us helpful. here. Anyway, uh, for herself, Amy thinks about how she can't be alone ever, which is bad. Um, for Marquis, he sips fine cognac and reads Dostoevsky. Uh, so either he's my kind of guy or uh, he's a fucking poser. It's hard to tell.
1: <laughs> he's definitely a poser. He doesn't even pronounce his name the right way, Matt. <laughs> um, I I, th- I think this this bit where... He goes through, or she goes through each and every one of their recharge methodologies, and then explains exactly why her way is actually the hardest um, to to justify what she needs to do to recharge. I think that's a really fascinating journey. Mm-hmm. I I I think it like it's it's awful. Like it's 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 so funny because it's like she talks about Mark. She talks about Mark as this person who's two steps forward, one steps back, and then she almost admits I'm very similar to that. Except, well there's all this other stuff and I'm actually, I'm actually more like one step forward, two steps back. So I'm just always getting worse no matter what, Mm -hmm. but it's not my fault. It's the world doing it to me. It's the world taking that step away from me. So whatever I need to do to recharge, including just stare at a person that doesn't look like Victoria, but I squint, I squint (laughs) and they kind of do. Yeah. Um,
0: Right. When viewed through a completely obscuring snowstorm. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, so here we get our first instance of Amy pressing her hand over her heart while staring creepily at Hunter. And it's these creepy stares that Amy uses to nourish herself. So at least she's got yeah. that.
1: Yeah, and we're going to really dive into that whole hand over the heart thing in a bit. But this is, this is the moment in the chapter where I really started feeling confident in this, this idea that Amy's keeping this girl around because she likes her around. Um, not necessarily because, oh, I can't, I can't fix her power. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, I mean, I, I definitely think that is happening. Right. I, I think, I think on some level she w- is a hundred percent convinced in herself that I am trying really hard to fix this girl. Um, and it's just not working. But I think, I think as we know, shards like work well with that kind of feeling. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, I think her shard is, <clears throat> it's, it's not that her shard, well, okay. I'm saying this with pretty low confidence, actually, but I might phrase it as her shard is totally in line with Amy's subconscious and is working really hard to give everything Amy subconsciously wants. Amy's just unable to admit the things that she subconsciously wants and is in conflict with herself. So, yeah. Yeah. She 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 does want to keep Hunter around. She also simultaneously, consciously wants to heal Hunter because she knows that if she heals... like she does know that healing Hunter is the only way to convince Victoria that everything is fine now and they should uh, be lovers again. Which is how that's going to work in her mind. Um,
1: I just shuddered uncontrollably. Yeah, right. that's how,
0: Well, that is that is literally that is literally her intention, though.
1: Yeah, so, no, I know. So, right
0: but like that's uh, it it. Her, her power is, in a sense, working against her, and uh, by by not letting her heal Hunter. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's complicated. I kind of talked myself into a not there, but um, <laughs> it's okay. Let's talk about the creepy statue now.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, Matt. What the hell? It's <laughs> <laughs> just this totally normal statue, just sitting here. Uh-huh. And Amy's like, I didn't, I didn't ask for it, but you know. Yeah it works <laughs> it works
0: i love it it's just it's, yeah
1: it's so, it's such a small little thing but it's so i was like knocked over mm-hmm. when i read that i was like there's a statue yeah
0: what? You, uh, what? <laughs> Yeah. well i mean we, we've they've talked about how she has all these statues and, and stuff everywhere but sure. it just so happens to be Statue of like a woman, a miserable woman, which, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I love it. Oh,
1: it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, a, a woman who has their hands over their heart, correct? Uh-huh. In, the, in the same manner in which uh, Amy is so often doing it in this yeah, right. this chapter. Right.
0: So they go down into the basement of this building to Chris's lab and they find 10 uh, blank slate pod people, uh, which Amy says have even less self than a dog. Which reminds me that Amy doesn't think dogs are people and she readily uses them up uh, for her medical experiments whenever she wants to. So yep, monster.
1: It's a good catch. I I, I really I think this is a great little a great little window into Amy's brain (laughs) because like the narration draws specific attention that she was very specific with Chris on the rules, right? Like this is how they have to be treated. I made, I made sure to double check that they less than dog. Um, this is how they treated the only thing you only get permission to test anything on them. If you specifically ask me first, here's my rules. And then it goes on to immediately show how Chris doesn't give a shit about any of your rules. Like, he just does whatever the hell he wants. He says four and they're like, okay, four. And he's like, uh, it's just five. Yeah, actually. right. Five. Um. And then, I mean, there's literally a spot here where he's like, trust me, I can't do anything in this time th- beyond what I'm saying. Trust me. And then literally three lines later, he's like, the smart thing to do is not to trust anyone.
0: <sighs> yeah.
1: And I'm just like. <laughs> like how do you how do you not see how do you watch him do these things and just like, yeah, okay, right It's because a part of her wants oh, it
0: absolutely absolutely like that that's the that's the thing is I think her and and her power are in complete alignment that it would be better for her to do the plan of his mm-hmm. um but her her objection is this like abstract this doesn't seem like the kind of thing a good person would do right and and so now she just sets out more or less like like deliberately to be like well how, how can i weasel my way around this to convince myself this is okay and that's what we're yeah. watching here i mean i think if anything we're, we're watching the end result of a lot of conversations with chris and a lot of time spent um doing this mental gymnastics where she's like all right here look here are all of the the twists and turns of logic that i i have set in in a row so that i can be okay with this and and not, not okay with it so that I can be convinced that a good person would do this. And this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, Like she, she wrote, she wrote the bottom line of the argument first and then she filled in everything else on the page basically.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think it's a good way of putting it. Yeah.
0: So basically when everybody except Chris and Amy leave, Chris tells her that the fifth doll is for her. Uh, He thinks she needs to do her thing, make herself, I uh, enslaved copy of Victoria, I guess, so that she can have her wits about her for the disasters to come.
1: Uh, I remember when like, we still really wanted to like Chris. I do. (laughs) And we were like, and we were like, okay, okay. He offered Amy Victoria, but maybe he was just like manipulating her and he wasn't, He's probably not going to actually do that. Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I mean, he, it, I guess, I guess you can say at least this is this doesn't involve kidnapping Victoria. This is sure. this is pretty much as bad, but in a in a interdimensional shard bullshit way, where it's, it's pretty much as bad, right? Like, yeah,
1: I can't believe you're taking the bold stance of this is fine.
0: <laughs> I don't think I said <laughs> that, but I guess we'll have to go back and listen to the audio. <laughs> um, I mean, no, it, it's true that like I I feel like Wildbo successfully tricked me into liking Chris in the Chris interlude and or, or or doing that thing where I feel like his backstory is so sad and he's he's sort of started out at such a disadvantage that him being fucked up absolutely makes sense. But he's, sure. he really is taking it to the point where we're withdrawing our um, sympathies, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm wondering if it's if we've reached the point of no return on this guy. Right. Oh, yeah. Like in the back of my head, especially as we were discussing Amy last week, I was like, OK, but what about this one? Is there still hope for this one? And I don't know yet. I really don't. Yeah,
0: I, I, I'm basically the same place as you where I haven't fully withdrawn those sympathies. He, he's not outside of, of my circle of possible forgiveness, but damn damn close. Yeah, he's he's working his way there. Definitely. Yeah. So after being faced with this choice by Chris, Amy runs away basically, goes outside, finds her dad talking to one Elizabeth Bagley, a woman in charge of the Gimmel evacuation. And the woman compliments Amy on what a fucking good person she is. <laughs> and uh, then Amy cures her precancerous tumors by way of thanking her. And she thinks to herself that. This, you know, being a healer, being thanked doesn't recharge or nourish her, but it does help with her mask, her, her barrier, her protection, her defense. Um, and specifically, I think it's the mask of the healer rather than the underlying truth of what she knows herself to be, which is not that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. Um, I, and I love this moment. Like. There are things that Amy does. That. Help people right and, and I love that the text doesn't shy away from that fact Amy has negotiated a way in which many of Earth Gimel people are getting to settle here refugees fleeing are getting to settle here she is tangibly helping people and that's a good thing um, but but that is almost solely Almost solely to advance her own kind of version of herself, mm-hmm. um, this this image of herself, and and I really like I really like that the, the book isn't afraid to point that out, but make it, but make it very clear that that doesn't make any that that doesn't balance. That's not an equation that balances here. Um, no, I, I really appreciate that.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, it, it's interesting to consider whether she thinks it balances. She, she thinks it, it does contribute to her image of being a good person. Like a, a, yeah. a bad person wouldn't do this. Right.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it, she does. I mean, I think she says her argument for being a good person in this chapter specifically is on aggregate. If you take all the bad things I've done, if you take all the good things I've done and you add them up with magical calculations <laughs> of, of, you know, good points right. and bad points. I have more bad points. I mean, more good points right? Uh-huh. and therefore good. Right. Right. Um, But so I want to before we move on, I wanted to stop here because I actually this is about the moment of the chapter where I really, really clued in on something that I think the text is doing. Um, And it might not be intentional or not. I just I really liked it. Um, I I think it's actually really brilliant and I love it. Chris. So right before this moment, Chris has basically confronted Amy with the thing that she arguably wants the most. Right. And she bails because she's like terrified of how much she wants it and and I think it's important that she's alone in this moment she's just with she's just with Chris Chris the monster and as she's running away we get this I'm not crazy she told herself where was Hunter where was Dot I'm a good person she thought where was Mark I can manage this where was Marquis and I think that in this moment it really finally clicked to me what the chapter was doing we started off the chapter immediately focusing on the people that Amy has surrounded herself with. And this focus has continued throughout the chapter. We spent a lot of time talking about barcos. We spent a lot of time talking about Chris, a lot of time talking about Mark. Um, I mean, she goes into detail about what they're wearing, um, the ways in which they're bad. We focused a lot on these people. And then it made me realize they're her masks. And so so much talk in this chapter is about masks. And and even in this part right here, where he says she puts on the mask of the healer and it makes her feel better. But all these people are her masks. Like each and every one of them is a mask she puts on to serve a different purpose. And and I love that when you combine it with Victoria, because Victoria is a person who gives the different part of herself different names, right? She's got the Wretch, she's got the Scholar, she's got Gloria Girls she's got Victoria, she's got Antares. Amy, as surrounded herself with all these other people that she uses as her masks. Right. Um, I can't be crazy because Dot is crazy. Uh, I am good like Mark. I am. I am managing Marquis. Um, I there's here's the monstrous side. That's Chris. And that protects herself. These people are doing it and she's shielded from it, even if it's what she wants. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, those, they serve as a barrier between what she wants and her self image. And that's, I mean, that's literally what a mask is described as in this chapter.
0: Yeah. I, I really love this. I'm, I just want to make sure that, that we're on the same page with it. Like th- the way I read the, um, I'm not crazy. Wh- where was Hunter? Where was Dot? Is like, I'm not crazy. Look at those guys. They're crazy. Um, yeah, exactly. And, exactly. and then, and then when it comes to Mark, I actually, it's funny because I, because for a second, I was like, I don't know if she thinks of Mark as a good person. Does she think
1: I don't I don't think she does. I I I mean I think I think it's complicated, yeah. right? I I think I think Mark is Mark even says this, the reason I'm here is to remind you of the good things you can do. Yeah. He he says that to her like point blank. And and I think that is that is his role. Mm-hmm. So it's not that Mark is a bad person right. and therefore lets me see that he's a good person. But Mark is the mask I can put in front of me when I need to be reminded of my good person. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And then, of course, and then, of course, the connect. Yeah. So Mark was is I I am in control, which uh, and that's an interesting thing is that Amy's always. Sort of we talked about how she and Victoria have sort of internalized this Carol control obsession differently and knowing knowing Marquis and she even talks about it in this chapter. The fact that Marquis um, and and Carol are, are quite similar in their in their orientation toward control. And so yeah. it's almost like Marquis is giving her a uh, is, he's a particular mask that allows her to assume control of her situation. Sure. Sure. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I just love I love the lens on that because I think I think and, and we'll talk about it as we go through the rest of the chapter. But I think it 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 matters to how we see the decisions are made later um, as as those masks aren't around for her to put on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. I, this is a great, great concept. So. Um, I just. Love this bit here. Um, and I think that this can be a springboard for a conversation. So she thinks sure. to herself, if she was going to be treated like the worst person imaginable, whatever she did. And she was strong enough that if she really cut loose, nobody would stand in her way. What was really stopping her from forcing those moments, from making it so life was just a continuous flow of those moments, one after another, the stars permanently aligned. Except for the fact that she was a good person. Um <laughs> So like th- this is yet uh, yet more of that thing we were talking about where like she spends a lot of time kind of like marshaling arguments for the things she really wants to do and then eventually she figures out like okay good I have a I have a justification in place that allows me to do this thing I wanted to do while remaining a good person like honestly that's where I think this goes I think this goes to her m- making a, a creepy Victoria slave. And doing it in a way where she has totally convinced herself that it's fine, and 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 mm-hmm. it, not just fine, but good. It was the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I, I think that's I think that's spot on. And um, yeah, and let's let's talk about your button Yeah. because so, I we talked about this offline, and and I really love this, and I want to explore. Yeah,
0: it. so there's this idea that I've had for a while in context of parahumans in general. There's just like. Um, a thought experiment basically that that I think kind of crystallizes one of the very interesting things that Wildbow has done with this parahumans idea that like the powers kind of take the the powers are kind of always the worst thing for you. And in, in Amy's case, that's certainly hundred percent true. So like imagine set aside all the parahuman stuff, just imagine that like, you you have a a button that's always it's always right next to you, or like you're wearing it on a watch or something. You can't get rid of it. It's always with you. It's a button. And if you push it, it basically fulfills your deepest, darkest desire that you could never admit to. So here's the thing: like everybody has like inappropriate desires and thoughts at some point in their lives. That's just like the process of being human. The sure. thing is we we deal with them, they attenuate and go away. We grow as people. We get over them, we get past them, we grow Mm -hmm. out of them, etc. But but that's because we can. That's because we're allowed to. That's because we're not constantly presented with them every single day all the time, waking and sleeping. But if you have this button with you all the time, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed, when you're lying in bed by yourself, tormenting yourself with this terrible dark desire that you have, it's not going to go away. The button, just the presence of the button keeps that desire alive and keeps it at the front of your mind all the time. And you'd go fucking crazy is, is the conclusion of my thought experiment. Just having this button here would make you go crazy. Almost doesn't matter if you push the button or not, it's going to break you having, sure. having this thing reminding you and offering that possibility all the time. You'd, you'd have to basically like find, you'd have to find some way of dealing with it. Right. And so parahumans I think is this great concept where all these characters are have been given a button they, they've all been given their own particular button which is their power which which does something for them that is the thing that they absolutely shouldn't do and is and is really harmful to them and in amy's case her button is at any moment i can have anything i could have everything i want these these yep. really terrible dark inappropriate desires that i have which i know are, are wrong i could uh i could just do it and, and it's it's always available to her. So this is the closest that you're ever going to hear me get to like, um, justifying or whatever Amy's <laughs> position. Cause, cause I, d- I don't want to do that. It's more just, I find the idea fascinating that, that if you take a person who, who is kind of twisted up in this way and then you give them the power to, to get what they want. Just giving them that power is just the worst thing you can do to them. It's a, it's really, it's really a terrible thing, right?
1: Yeah, I I agree. And I I love the way you said that. And I think, I think there should be no one that conflates this as any kind of defense of Amy's behavior, because I, I, I don't think I agree completely. That's not what you're saying at all. It's just an ability to understand why someone would be driven insane by, I can't imagine. I mean, I can't, I just thinking, just thinking about this, the ability to to you could have everything you wanted. Yeah. Like, how would you not push the button eventually? Yeah.
0: Or or it would just yeah it, it, it would it would twist you right it would just twist you and, right and that's right. Right. that's the so yeah I'm not not advocating sympathy for Amy I just want to be clear <laughs> fuck Amy but like it, it, it's I I think that viewing the pair human powers and her situation in particular in this light um, is is interesting and
1: rewarding so. So there's a, <laughs> Matt, I can't wait till we talk about Dark Tower because there's a, 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 there's a, there's a button in Dark Tower oh, I like in, 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 in the first, in the Gunslinger, like the first 70 pages, we're going to get to have a discussion on this. Awesome. It's going to be I great. like buttons.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, uh, then we cut from here to one week ago, uh, in the Shin prison, Amy enters the room where an unconscious Victoria waits the doctor who tranquilized her um, and who lied about not speaking English is making... Yeah, you jerk. Yeah, it's, uh, it took to me a couple reads to pick, to pick up on that, by the way, uh, making it clear that he was asked to do this and this wasn't a misunderstanding. Amy first tells Victoria after the doctor's left the room um, that Marcos isn't really a bad guy. Him and Carol could be friends if it weren't for silly artificial barriers and basically kind of draws that connection between Carol and Marcos that I was talking about. And Mm -hmm. then Amy heals her scars, her wounds, takes down the walls in her brain, quote unquote, giving her love. And then she kisses Victoria on the lips and lies down beside her, giving herself 59 seconds of peace. And at the end of the minute, she restores Victoria's wounds. She brags that she's in control as a flicker of Hunter passes through her mind's eye while still touching Victoria. (sighs) So... She has confidence that next time she sees Hunter, she'll be able to fix her. And uh, spoil, we, we saw that. It didn't happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about this for very long. <laughs> um, this is viscerally disgusting. Yeah. Um, I, like, I, and I think it's, I, I mean that as a compliment to the work, right? Because it, it comes off exactly the way you want it to. Like, I think on some level, we probably knew something like this happened. Um, not the specifics of it, but we knew something went down in between it when victoria was unconscious right yeah right and and we didn't know exactly what it was, but we probably knew it was something and we probably knew it was something bad and and yet it is still like in action, like worse than I could have imagined it somehow, just seeing it, just seeing it um i i i I love how before we even cut to this, Amy mentions this as the moment that the stars aligned, um, which is just like it's just like beautifully and disgustingly relates to Antares, our protagonist named after a star. Right. Um, But I think it also makes the, the violation all the more disgusting because this moment what you're this moment you're talking about where you did this disgusting, awful thing is a, is a a stars aligning moment for you. I I think
0: one of the things that makes it so disturbing to, to people in general um, and and why it's so effective is that it's written from within Amy's point of view. And to her, this is a beautiful moment Oh yeah. to her. This is romantic. She, she, she's been craving this and it's everything she wanted it to be. And the only downside is that it has to end. And that's, so much more disturbing, almost, than if it had just been written from like a, a third person omniscient point of view, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, because your emotion is not matching the emotion of your of your narration, um, and and that that is that is a disconnect that it's like forces that emotion out of you even more. I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, there is one part of this I want to talk to you about though, and it is thankfully not related to. The specifics of the disgustingness, but there's this one line where Amy says to herself she hadn't wanted this after all, but she needed it. And now, of course, this is total bullshit, right? Like this is she absolutely wants it. She absolutely doesn't need this, quote unquote. She is. But I wanted to I wanted to dive into this concept a little more to you, because to me person that really likes talking about and analyzing stories whenever I hear the concept of wants and needs my brain immediately goes to storytelling and character arcs and how they work Uh, because because on this most basic traditional elemental level. A character's arc is a specific conflict of their wants versus their needs, right? A character starts their journey seeking out something they want in the process of questing for that and coming up in, in conflict with an antagonist. Character eventually discovers what they want isn't actually what they needed. Uh, hopefully they embrace the need and learn and grow from it. And, yay, that's a story. Hooray. Um, this is a specific corruption of that concept, right? Amy treats this as her moment of revelation, almost her second act turn, right? The stars have aligned. The, the, this is the culmination moment, and she's had a realization. This isn't what I wanted. This is what I needed. And it is taking that, that general storytelling concept and mutating it and corrupting it and destroying it and... Ugh. It is it is just it is so it's such a fundamental violation of not only uh, a character in the story, but of storytelling itself. <laughs> <laughs> and and and, and I, I love it for that. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to think about this because, you know, we, we've talked already last week about this concept of how Amy Amy's interludes almost specifically contradict what we understood interludes in the story what their purpose was, right? Um, and so I, I think we keep seeing these beats and these moments um, where where this character is like just taking what we understand of a storytelling, especially storytelling in the concept of these books, and and changing it and mutating it and um, amifying it. I guess. Yeah. And it, it's it's fascinating, but it's horrifying. Right. And. How how dare you ruin stories for me Amy?
0: <laughs> I really like where you're going with this because like I, I, as you're as you're talking I was thinking like yeah it's like it's like she has a negative character arc. And then yeah. I was like yeah well that's that's a fine word but like negative almost is too simple it's just like uh negative one times a character arc like no it's yeah. it's it's being I I like how you're kind of playing with the language as you as you try to grapple with it like uh, corrupting the idea of how a character arc is supposed to progress and t- yeah. taking, taking certain elements like wants and needs and, and almost inverting, inverting them and reversing them and, and yeah. making it so that instead of but basically instead of the story of, of a hero rising, it's the story of someone like systematically shoving their head up their ass um and and like like making every every wrong move they could possibly make, and the whole time telling themselves that they yeah. are the hero rising.
1: Yeah, and and it's not to say that like Wildbo has invented the concept of a character regressing or becoming more awful. Like obviously not, right? Obviously that's not that's not the case. But I think in the the specific ways in which it's being employed here is 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 seeming to attack those concepts and and turning them on their mm. head. Yeah. And in, in a way that I really right. like. I mean, I,
0: I think like you, you've pulled out that she said, you know, she, she explicitly calls out she hadn't wanted this, but she needed it. That That's t- textually referring to, you know, the concept of, of, of contrasting wants and needs, but there it, it's kind of throughout what she's been doing in this story. And in, in, in these, in these interviews, sure. this idea that she's not going forward. She's like backing into darkness and every step of the way telling herself that she's doing the right thing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great way of addressing this idea of, of who she is, how she is, her nature, her, her self justifying nature, how that, that is fundamentally the problem here. Like the fact that she's constantly having to, you know, think of reasons why what she's done is fine and never facing any kind of guilt. That's, That's the fundamental thing that's that's driving this backwards movement. And um, yeah, it's a great way of exploring that. I think a great structural Mm -hmm. way of exploring that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wonder if you asked her outright, are you on the hero's journey? Right. If she would be like, yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I wonder. I wonder. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Cool.
1: So before before we leave this section, I I just want to talk about what Amy might have done to Victoria here. I think you hinted at it in what you were describing of when she flashes to thinking about Hunter. Um, I mean, we know that a door has been opened between Victoria and the wretch, right? We know that happened. We don't quite understand how it happened. Um, and it, it seems to me, the text is pointing us in this direction towards that moment, that moment when Amy was still touching Victoria and still working on Victoria and, and Hunter flashed into her head. That was the moment, Right. Um, and I think the text tries to make this as explicit as possible without outright saying it, at least my in my interpretation. There's this moment where Amy is musing about where Hunter had gone wrong was that Amy had been in charge of the girl, had altered the mind to alter the power and let something in by accident. Removing it was too hard because what had opened could not be closed. And so that 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 line here, what had opened could not be closed, is specifically like connecting Wording to how Victoria has described this increasing contact with her shard, mm-hmm. right? And so, in my opinion, when I see these kind of when I see these kind of wording equivalents, I think we're supposed to be connecting those dots, and 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 therefore we've we've said. I, I think I think that's what the oh, story yeah. is saying at this oh, point. Oh, totally. And I think. And I think going into chapters 17.1 and 17.2, kind of knowing that it was Amy that opened this door, I think makes Victoria's interaction with her wretch all the more ominous mm-hmm. because it's it's connected to not only Hunter, who we've seen as like has been deeply affected by her shard on a level of scariness, um, but but Victoria is like, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's I'll, I'll wait till we get to actually get to those chapters.
0: Yeah, no, I, and I, I'm glad you pulled out this, this language, just the word open, you know, w- what had been open could not be closed. That's, I don't know if wordplay is the right word exactly or the right term, but definitely a reference to this idea that definitely prompting you to make that connection. And I think yeah. that's, that's a really cool thing because Wildo manages to prompt you to make that connection without really, really referring to it. It's really mm-hmm. just, just word choice. Sure. Yeah, that's um, great. And, and of course we know that Amy is, is wrong About this because they were able to totally repair Taylor's brain after opening that door and she was completely fine. And anyway, moving on, we're not talking about (laughs) that any further. Um, She did. So back in the lab, Amy works with Chris to transform one of the zombies into Chevalier. How are you going
1: to do my boy like this?
0: Yeah, I know. Like. But it's like inbringer Chevalier. It's like a shard leaking into the world. It's a giant with all the capabilities of Chevalier, but fewer of the limitations. But he's also obedient and cyclopean, like, mm-hmm. a, good, like a good love crafty and creature. Uh, it says, not holy of this world's rules, closer to Chevalier's power than Chevalier himself. Um, and this is only one of 10 they'll be, be making today.
1: So basically they can just make Mr. Hugs as is in the real world. It seems now. like it, yeah. Cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Wait how how is this gonna help with the whole end of the world thing?
0: I I really don't think that that's a concern of theirs. I think, that, <laughs> yeah, like, like it's kind of amazing that they're just like, look, uh, Sheen wants this, and uh, that's all the justification we need. Really. Cool. Yeah. Hooray! Great.
1: Uh, it's terrifying. <laughs> it, I mean, like the thing is, it's really cool too. Like th- they made this thing, and it's cool, but also. Awful. Mm -hmm. And one of the, one of the first things they do is they take this slave person that had less personality than a dog and they make it into a full person and then they mutate it horribly into this monster. So that's cool.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) No. And she, and she doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't address that at all. She's like, yeah, yeah." which is already creepy enough, right? That she can like upgrade a, a, a meat puppet into a person. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's horrifying. It's like, what what was the
1: point of like being sure that the test subjects, um, sure the test subjects had no traits of humanity or less than dog-like if the first thing you're going to do is, okay, let's make them a human. Uh And then,
0: yeah, I mean, my, my take was that she, and maybe I'm overinterpreting things, but she had, uh, she had genetic code flashing on the screen. I, I thought she was literally turning it into. Chevalier's body so that it would be a, a DNA match so that the Shard would connect to it
1: yeah I mean I, th- yeah. I think she has basically made a Chevalier yeah and then they take that
0: that's just so further fucked up.
1: but that means so that's still like a person yeah it's a person there
0: right right There's a
1: whole there's a whole person yeah. there I
0: mean she even she even directly compares it to what Bonesaw had done right it like yeah. she sees it as a continuation of that and we spent a whole goddamn several book long thing getting to know one of these Bonesaw clones and how it was a person uh-huh. So, great. Cool. Awesome. Super happy. Okay. Um <laughs> uh, wh- after they do this, Chris corners her and pulls off uh the shoulder of her top, revealing the section of Victoria's skin Amy has been keeping alive and nourished off of her skin and bacteria. Perfectly good piece of material to use as a template for growing a new Vicky.
1: Gross. That's the most disgusting. Like they think I-, I don't know if you Did this but as I was reading I was really like Man she keeps doing the grabbing her hand to her Heart thing and I'm like I've really I think midway through the chapter I even tweeted this Like midway through the chapter I was like I really want to go Back and reread this chapter after it's done and examine Each moment in which she does this and Kind of draw a thematic connection Between it and then I read like two Paragraphs later and I was just like what The (laughs) fuck
0: (laughs) Yeah yeah There's there's something to it there
1: Yeah but Uh, I mean speaking of how Amy corrupts everything Uh, including character arcs and the concept of storytelling, like she's taking a a symbol here, an image of a person putting their hand on their heart, right? Like this, this moment of like being in touch with your heart and, and, and like it, it, to me, it's a positive image, right? Like when you put your hand on your heart, like this is a positive image Uh and she's taken that thing and just destroyed it. It's, it becomes disgusting in her hands. It becomes this, this supreme violation yeah uh, and once again once again amy taking something and just destroying it
0: yeah can we just mention that it was like throbbing so so cronenbergian it's incredible yeah it's delightful Ugh.
1: it's yeah great body horror stuff i love it i mean i love it as a concept as a storytelling device yeah it also makes me sick, sick.
0: yeah right so chris's pushes uh chris pushes her verbally saying out loud how she's living in a dream world where her power is for healing and restoration when she knows what it's really for. And she's furious with him, but decides that he's right. And she says, fuck reality. I have no mask, not
1: for the moment. I I like how she says... I like how it emphasizes she says, fuck reality to his back, right? Mm. She waits until he turns around because she can't even say it to his face. Um, and and, and I, I, speaking of these people are her masks, right? Marquis is not here. Hunter is not here. Mark is not here. Dot is not here. It's just her and Chris. And she rejects the Chris mask and takes it all on herself and says, fuck reality. This is me. This is my decision. The masks are off. And I am the one doing this. Yeah. Um, and it's. Um, horrifying.
0: I think "fuck reality" is such a great line at this point. It is because it's it like, is. oh, that's just really alarming. I don't well, know. Yeah, I mean, and yeah.
1: the hilarious part is that's what you've been doing the whole time, Amy. But for <laughs> you to actually recognize that yeah. uh, is is immensely disturbing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's fitting that when she's with the monster mask, that that's the time when she decides she has no mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So next up, they're gonna make another one of these creatures. It's gonna be somebody Amy knows.
1: Any guesses? Any guesses at all?
0: Um, I, I, I'm just trying to think like who's the worst person it could be, right? <laughs> like
1: Wild Bo has trained you well.
0: I mean, it, it could be, it could be, uh, like Uncle Neil.
1: <laughs> you know, I have an Uncle Neil, and so every time I hear Uncle Neil, I'm like, wait, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's who I mean, though. That's who I'm yeah. referring to this time. My, he'll be thrilled. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know do you th-
1: I read somewhere that there are people that think it's Taylor. What do you think of that?
0: No, I don't She think did it's Taylor. know Taylor yeah I yeah, but but, but I don't I, I there's no I don't see what value that would be as an inbringer because what she'd control like a lot more bugs like unless they're going Kepri, and it's like, okay, but you don't actually want Kepri. Wouldn't that's,
1: it literally be that?
0: But that's too dangerous, I would say. Um, sure i agree I, I mean i I get why people are suggesting it but i think for for doilist reasons the answer is no
1: yeah i mean i agree yeah. i agree i agree with you
0: yeah i don't know uh, i mean yeah I, I mean i would guess someone with like an offensive power not a um like like not like i would be tempted to say tattletale for thematic reasons but also tattletale's power wouldn't be that useful for a mute towering mm-hmm. monster so yeah um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm excited to see who it is. Do you have any guesses?
1: I really don't. Yeah. I I thought about this for a while. And I mean, I could throw out a bunch of names, but I wouldn't have any more confidence in one over the other. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think I think that is supposed to be tantalizing. We're yeah. supposed to. And so I almost don't want to guess, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Makes sense. All right. Let's move on.
1: Um. So before we move okay. on, though, that's the end of arc 16. What do, What do you think? What do you think of this arc? I mean, so it's the travel in, travel into the dream world slash mourn Ashley slash uh, two of the roughest interludes in the chapter arc.
0: I think in retrospect, this is a really, really great one um, in a lot of different ways. Like we, we deal with mourning in this really deep and sensitive and emotional way. Um, mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time on that, you know, with Kinsey and with Victoria and and then we play with that in the kind of science fiction superhero milieu when they then go you know, have to interact with Damsel, uh, which, you know, makes basically exacerbates everything about the gr- grieving process. And then, of course, you know, we've been waiting for I, I literally don't even know how many hundreds of thousands of words to like dig into. How does all this shard stuff work? W- what is what is behind the curtain here? Like we've get we've seen s- s- these tiny tiny glimpses through the the scion interlude, but even that was more like evocative than it was really explaining exactly what was going on. Yeah, and yeah. so we've just been so curious, and just as a you know as fans and as as readers, it's just so tantalizing. And then Boat really treats us to this deep journey through this really you know honestly more kind of Complex and, and well, I guess I shouldn't say more complex than I expected because it's wild though, so I should have expected it to be complex, but just um, a very thoroughly painted kind of alternate universe with its own rules where everything not only has a fun science fiction meaning, but also works on the thematic level, of course. And yeah. yeah, just just yeah, everything about this arc worked for me. I I I haven't really you know until you asked me this question, haven't really thought about it. But I want to say this is one of my favorite arcs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I have I I don't want to be able to say that, but I I do I do really agree with you. I mean, I think. I think just the the journey of Victoria, you know, moving aside these Amy arcs, the journey of Victoria through this chapter is one that's that the, or this arc rather is one that really fascinates me. She goes from this person going through specific morning to, to leaping off the edge of a cliff and charging headlong into crystals and destroying her body only for it to pop out the other side. Fine. Um, it, it like really, more than she has ever in this book thrusting herself right into the thick of the the problems to deal with something because she can't deal with the things that are really bothering her, mm-hmm. and that continues to delight me about this character. It's why I find her so fascinating, and it's one of the big focuses of this this arc, you know, t- putting aside these these two massive Amy interludes that completely change where I think the book is going with her at all. Like I think the end of this chapter is basically. You know, we said it last week. We said, I I guess last week I was like, okay, we've now declared Amy a monster. Now we're going to see what monstrous Amy does. And here it is. This is what this is what monstrous Amy is going to do. She's going to have 10 end bringers under her control. Um, It is almost literally exactly what Victoria said would happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it, it. I think it is actually worse than I could have imagined. Yeah. Because back when we were thinking about this, I couldn't have imagined that you could like morph a shard into the real world and make an inbringer.
1: Yeah. So. And yet and yet it is like it is worse than I could have imagined. Specifically, I would never have imagined Mr. Hugs's is, this, but I also never would have imagined Amy would be capable of something like this. Mm. And yet I completely after these two chapters, I'm completely like, yeah, of course she is. Of course, she's capable of this. Of course, Um, this is not only is she capable of this. It seems like this was the inevitability. This is the way it was always going to have to go down. Mm. Um, And we'll see. We'll see what happens to her. I mean, the thing I love about this is, yes, we've kind of reached this point of beyond the point of no return for Amy. It's like, okay, now what now? What are we going to do with her? And that's what's really exciting.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's move on to 17.1. So this arc opens with Victoria thrust into confronting consequences for her recklessness. And really, as we said at the beginning of this episode, a fairly unusual beginning. Uh, There's no lull. There's no calm, board setting chapter here. It's just, bam, defiant. super pissed at you. You got to deal with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I like that. I mean, I, I like chapter two is definitely that Lull board setting chapter, I think, Um, but this is not. This is almost directly picking up on the cliffhanger from the last arc, and I like that because it's like, the you know, metaphorically the consequences of you don't get to start fresh on a new arc just because you did a crazy shit last time. You know, like we we get meta with this, but it's like there's consequences, and so now the first chapter of this new arc is gonna be you facing the consequences, and then you get to do all the board setting, and then you get to move on. But first. Uh, you're going to have to suffer the consequences of the choices you made. Mm -hmm. And here they are. Yep. Um. So uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to like about defiant here. There's some things to not like as well, but I, I love how right here at the beginning, the book like immediately establishes his presence, his size, right? He's not even in full armor, but he's still tall as shit. He's thick. Uh, the back of his head could have rested against the doorframe behind him. He didn't have nearly enough winter wear, but he's literally steaming. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's really wonderful. I I love it. He's large. He's tall. He's covering the entire door basically, and he's steaming mad. Yeah, and and of course Victoria's like, if I was in a if I if this was a commerce situation, I'd make a joke about that, <laughs> which is just. It's, oh, Victoria! Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's interesting how she's kind of loopy, right? Like she's still, yeah. c- c- you know, waking up. She says, she says what what Defiant points out, I think rightly, is kind of an inappropriate comment. And then she's still kind of like wanting to crack jokes. Um, I, I think she's not a hundred percent back from the shard space. And sure. I, honestly, I I might return to this as we go through these two chapters. I think there's a good chance that she remains not 100% back from the shard space. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that this is 100% Vicky Dallin.
1: Did you share this theory with me? This is
0: Well, curveball. I did share the theory that some of the things that she thinks to herself that doesn't say, they don't really sound like her. They kind of sound like what Waste wants her to be. They They're, they're kind of...
1: I remember you saying that now, yeah.
0: Yeah, like, like I, I've, I think I said to you, like, I think they might be waste thoughts, and, and now I'm like, I don't really think that the shards think in English, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I, I do think that there's some some cross contamination happening, some something got intermixed and rejiggered. We kind of know that this is true because sure. Byron. Well, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so, so uh, the other thing I was going to say is, I love that the text um, is. Like, emphasizing how little Victoria realizes that Defiant is, like, a complete cyborg. Like, she she doesn't actually realize, like, his whole body is cybernetic. Yeah, basically all of it. Yeah, right. So, Defiant separates everyone and interrogates them one by one, making sure they can't communicate with each other or with anyone else. While Victoria waits, she stews, her mind touching on all the stuff that she saw, all the stuff there is to think about. But the thing she spends the most time thinking about in terms of, you know, sentences is actually the Dean betrayal.
1: Yeah. And it kind of makes sense when she explains it. Right. Dean is this one untainted memory she had from her before time. Everything else back there. Amy, Carol, uh, her father, all of that has been tainted. The one thing she had in her mind was Dean and this memory and it's ruined now. And this is exactly what happens when you put someone up up on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. Right. One little blemish. They fall off. And they fall a long, long way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as the resident dean hater on this podcast, I do have to say, she's being a little unfair to him here. I think, like, I, I think, I think it is absolutely true that he lied to her. But the way she describes it is interesting to me. Like. He told me once that he had a tr- had a trigger event, had closed up without saying exactly what it was, and I'd taken it as a betrayal, leaving me reeling now as I remember those feelings I'd had and how he'd let me think I'd been in the wrong for pushing too hard. And then he caved and told me a story about home invasion. So, like, on the one hand, you could argue that he's manipulating her with this trigger event stuff. On the other, you could argue that she kind of pushed him to it.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I saw this. Like, my, my read of this was... Dean did not want to lie to her, was was trying to think of a way out of having to lie to her, knew that he probably couldn't tell her the truth about Cauldron, because that would literally put her life in danger. So he 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 seems to have like tried to do backflips to just try try to shut down the conversation and then ultimately caved and, and lied. Um but I I I see it as being on the scale of terrible betrayals, like, um, on the low end, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think we're yeah. on the same page there.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, it, we learn here that, like, she says that this, this sharing, this closeness she felt by him sharing his trigger event, is what eventually led to them having sex for the first time. Yeah, and that's a huge deal. I and mean, that's a huge deal, right? Um, and and, and so I mean. As much as I think she's being she's she, he's fallen from this pedestal in her mind now. And so she's being really rough about it. Um, I, I do understand where that emotion comes from. If this is the thing you're connecting to the moment where you decided to be intimate with him in the most intimate way possible. Um, and that's now been tainted. I get it. I get I get why she feels that mm. way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's understandable. It's it's tragic. It sucks. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it really so. does. Um, also, look at this part where Victoria is fair to Amy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is
0: the biggest piece of evidence that this is not Victoria.
1: <laughs> oh, is it? Is it? Uh, she, she says, "Except I knew that was unfair; that it was barbaric when I didn't want to be barbaric." She was ill. I could hate her, but what she needed was to be removed from people she would hurt and treated with kindness, and that—that that would absolutely no way in the fuck be me. So it's as close as Victoria gets to being fair to Amy ever. Yeah, and and my question with you. Is after these two chapters we just saw, does Amy even deserve this level of fairness? one One of the uh, one of our our listeners asked us in the thread yesterday, um, "Do I think people should kill Amy? Like, do I do I think um, at this point w- there should just be a kill order on Amy and just she just be taken out?" And I don't know. I, I I don't. I mean, certainly if she's gonna bring and bring her monsters and start attacking people. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's a difficult question, but I don't I don't know if she I don't know if she deserves the benefit of the doubt to go like what she really needs is help. um, And I, I don't know.
0: That's really interesting because I. At my first reaction was, well, I don't believe in capital punishment and. No, yeah, but, definitely. But not. but then I but, but but then I have it like I, I put a totally totally different lens on it and I'm I'm thinking like, OK, but like let's say we have this like nuclear scientist who we know for a fact has just built one of 10 massive hydrogen bombs that sh- she's going to give to terrorists like she's like in the process of giving to terrorists mm-hmm. do i like are, are are we going to patriot missile this person we're absolutely going to patriot missile this person and nobody's <laughs> going to feel bad about it so sure so so, so when i put on my statecraft and and massive stakes hat i can see the argument for it but when i put on my human does this person deserve to die in a cosmic sense hat
1: i don't think anybody deserves to die in a cosmic sense sure um, yeah i don't know i think that's a good way of describing what i was trying to say but was completely able unable to i i, I agree with that wholeheartedly cool
0: good so um when defiant finally comes to talk to victoria she tries to put her best foot forward by throwing kenzie under the bus immediately (laughs) Uh, ultimately he calls in dragon the only person in the world capable of putting kenzie in check for a second
1: yeah we know of course that what kenzie is doing this whole time is just sending some messages to several people including chris for some reason right yeah Uh, we've just spent a whole chapter seeing just how horrible Chris is and then we see despite Ken- despite telling him off explicitly Kenzie hasn't written him off yet uh and this is this is where i'm wondering like Kenzie hasn't given up hope on Chris yet um should we and i don't i don't know
0: well yeah Kenzie's the heart i mean i i, I so so I, I, you know stepping back from the story i don't think we're supposed to have written off Chris yet i think we're supposed to still feel like Chris has some potential to be redeemed that doesn't I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. I just think that that's the state we're supposed to be in right now.
1: Yeah. I definitely know that Kenzie should probably stop sending him uh, information.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's a hard, somebody's going to need to have a talk with that girl. So I love this section where she tries to explain how it all came about and it's, well, not lies, but it's the narrative that Victoria wants to believe, focusing on the reasons she wants to believe or the motivating reasons but she knows it's not accurate, and that comes across on the lie detector.
1: Yeah, I I I I I this lie detector stuff is really fascinating. And I, I I when we get into it with Dragon in a minute, I'm gonna love talking about it there. But I, I love that she on some level she knows this isn't the whole truth. Um Yeah.
0: Right. I, I think there's a lot of fascinating um hiding the actual reasoning from the reader happening in both of these chapters, which is one of the, I, I am going to keep talking about this. This is one of the things that makes Please me think do. that, that, that Victoria is a little bit uh, off of center or maybe, maybe I should say Victoria adjacent um, <laughs> because, I like it. because she keeps, uh she, she keeps doing this where like the, no, normally she's not self deceptive. That's not a Victoria trait. She's, if anything like she gets lost in her head because she spends too much time trying to like uh you know chase down every every dark shadow in in the corners of her mind and here she's like she's surprised to find that she's lying that's a surprising thing to hear from victoria right you know yeah. what i mean yeah
1: i don't know maybe uh-huh. i mean no, I agree with you. That would be a surprise. I, I, I guess I didn't read it as she was surprised to find out she was lying. Um, I, I read it as he says, you know, I have a lie detector. Right. And she's like, oh, fuck. Um,
0: well, uh, then, then. I mean, okay. I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah.
1: I just say I didn't see it that way. I, I,
0: I think I think that's true. It's more like in her own thoughts. She's not thinking, all right, I was going to have to lie to him. Mm-hmm. She's hiding that from us. Yeah, that, that is true.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, the, you, you are absolutely right that there are there are moments throughout these. Cha- I, I know exactly what moment you're thinking in the next chapter where she specifically seems to lie to us about something. Right. Um, and we're going to get there. So, I mean, I love this idea you have. I think it's really fascinating. Um, and it, it serves as I think starting off on the arc as this kind of new new vic- adjacent Victoria is a perfect way to kind of start this this out. So mm-hmm. I think we need to pay attention to this throughout the arc. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, um, um
1: so, yeah. so I, I wanted to focus on something with you here and this is my, me and my weird brain. Um, so there's this moment where daddy defiant tells Victoria how disappointed he is in her, but I just wanted to look at how he says it. So he says, and Terry's on the whole, I always had a positive impression of you. I remember hoping that you would join my wards team once. I even remember the moment after I printed out your grades and had them by my right hand, my left hand at the keyboard where I was navigating an arrest report you made. I kept my mouth shut, nodding. I don't have the most positive impression of you right at this moment, which is stinging, but to find it's a weirdo. <laughs> like, look at, like I talked to you about this earlier today. It's such a weird way of describing this moment. Like he doesn't say, he doesn't say, uh, I remember once I, where I was looking at your grades and I was looking at your arrest report. He's very weirdly specific about it. We're like your grades were by my right hand, and my left hand was on my keyboard, and I was scrolling with my my pointer finger. And I was, <laughs> it, it was seven forty-seven and forty-nine <laughs> seconds. Like, what the what the defiant you weirdo? Why? Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, it's we we did talk about this. I mean, I basically read this as like within the normal parameters of Colin being a bit of a weirdo, but but also just like. <laughs> Also, just like a bit of a, a a a detail added to a story to make it feel more credible and less just like I'm being a stern lecturing adult figure, like 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 here's an actual story about a time, a specific time when I when I had a positive impression of you, right? yeah, you know. It, it, I mean,
1: my, my, my interpretation was he's just a fucking robot, and yeah. this is what robots do.
0: That is, I mean, yeah, it's possible that he is, like, literally rewinding to this memory in his brain or something. Who knows? Yeah. I, I like the moment in here, somewhere somewhere in here, where, like, he's being super angry and loud, and then Dragon loads into the computers, and then he, like, noticeably calms down. hmm Because he's like, oh, okay, I have to behave now. I thought that was funny.
1: Yeah, it's just I mean, it, it is it is a robotic, but Colin true ism, right? Like uh-huh. it is it is him awkwardly. I think you're right. that it's him awkwardly trying to be detail oriented um, to to bring uh, like realism and sincerity to what he's trying to say. But it is in the most clunky awkward way possible.
0: I just, I love, I love how you're reacting to this because I really, <laughs> it just really didn't stick out to me, but
1: it's so weird. Yeah, okay. I can I can just imagine having, imagine having a conversation with your kid. Like your kid just did something bad. And you're like, I was thinking the other day about the first time you made your arts and crafts. And my left leg was next to a <laughs> stool and my right leg was up on uh, another stool leg. And my left hand was, raised about 45 degrees it's just so (laughs) weird
0: well I mean it's funny this is in a context of of a lie detector because did you know that that uh, I'm a lie detector Scott I I did not yeah I can always tell when people are lying you know how how because if people are lying they add tons of extraneous details to their stories so is this a lie uh maybe huh I mean, it's funny, that didn't occur to me until now. But I
1: thought that's specifically where you were going.
0: No, no, I was just bragging. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's maybe he's making it up We've, just to be like... We have
1: spent far too much time on this. We
0: really, really have. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Dragon tells her that she should come clean if she's holding something back. And she says she's not sure if she could sound honest if she told Dragon her name. And then they run that experiment, and Victoria reads as being extremely unconfident that she's Victoria Dallin. Me too. Um, but she's confident that she wants to save the people of this city. And she thinks to herself a couple more things that she's confident in, which she doesn't share with Dragon, which are, even knowing there's going to be consequences, I thought. I'm glad we did it to get it out ahead of Teacher, to see what he was really doing, and to understand all this. I doubt there's a single person out there who can fight on this playing field who isn't breaking some of the rules. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I I really like this. This to me is another example of how like genre fiction can just kind of make literal a lot of the metaphorical things we've been talking about. Right. Like we've been talking about how Victoria has identity issues this entire book. She doesn't know who she is. And so when she says her name, she, she says it without confidence. Um, Yeah. But but this but the central idea of regardless of who she is, she knows what she wants. Her goals have always been very clear. Um, And so absolutely in this moment, of course, of course, her goal is the one thing that comes out as 100 percent true, because that's always been as as rough as she's had it, as as, you know, tough as her emotions been and her self doubt about who she is and what she is what she wants has always been crystal clear in her mind. And now we've kind of Mm. taken this and made it literal through this lie detector device thing. And that's why I love genre fiction. It's great.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, the, the lie detector is a great way of, of, you know, also of course, uh, underlining her, uh, not just the identity crisis, but like the idea that, well, yeah, I mean like she, she's never been sure if she's Victoria Dallin, right? Because the whole book, she's been worried like, Hey, I made out of dogs from, from Amy's memories like how 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 much of me is actually physically here yeah. and and now as I will not shut up about she's now been mentally remixed and and re-uploaded into her body so yeah.
1: and that that, so, that door is open how much yeah. how much is that messing with who Victoria Dallin is
0: yeah right which yeah. which again again I'll note she's not really thinking about that much like like she's she's acknowledging it but she's not really thinking about the horrible implications of that door being open
1: yeah it doesn't seem to bother her at all and we will see at the end of this chapter she actually gets strength from her connection to her shard um it's almost as if every person has let her down has disappointed her and the only thing she has left the only thing she has left to trust is the alien in her head
0: yeah yeah
1: cool so
0: so um So Defiant then puts some pressure on her, uh, telling her that smashing Teacher's Crystal killed thousands of his thralls. And Victoria doesn't believe him, or doesn't want to. And he doesn't tell her the truth until later. So let's talk for a minute about this game that Defiant plays in testing Victoria's convictions in this way.
1: Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. I think it's uh, psychologically cruel to do to a person. Um, To put them through the emotional ringer to test slash prove a point about how reckless their behavior was. Um, I agree with his reasoning behind it. I don't think it's a good thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what do you I, think? I, I, I think it crosses a line. Yeah. Like, I don't see what it gains and it's fairly cruel. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, um, I, yeah,
1: I understand very specifically why defiant did it and why mm-hmm. He's so viscerally angry about this specific choice of Victoria's, right? That's um, it's like his bag. Like this idea of, you know, putting a bunch of people at risk to accomplish a goal you think is going to be possible, but you're not sure, is like literally what Armsmaster did. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, but, I, and I, sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, I, was, I would just say my issue with that is like her being really convinced it was the right thing to do doesn't mean it was the right thing to do. So I'm not sure. Like all, all the tests—it's it's only a test of, were you that certain in yourself? Sure. And I wouldn't even necessarily see that as a plus. If somebody said yes, I'd be like,
1: Yeah, I guess that's well, fair.
0: that's alarming. <laughs> well, what, Why were you so certain in yourself? Because I, I don't see the argument from where I'm standing. Um, yeah, I don't know.
1: I mean, I, I do like this idea that, like, so we talked all last arc about how. Victoria is going to do this thing and it's going to be bad because it's stupid and she's rushing in and it's going to be really dumb and it's going to cause the end of the world. And she succeeded. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as we know, like they've stopped teacher and the world didn't end, which isn't to say it won't. But for now, it seems like as reckless as Victoria's choices were, they didn't specifically end trigger and bad thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But just because you rolled the dice this time, and didn't crap out doesn't mean that that's good behavior to have. Right. Um, and I think, I think to defy it, the idea that if you're, if you're going to be the person that puts yourself in these situations and forces yourself to make these choices, you should be a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the very least be sure about it.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I like, yeah, I I like his specific line that like, if you're going to make decisions like that, then you put yourself up for scrutiny. Yeah. Like you, you put yourself up for people to second guess your calls. If you're going to make calls that have that level of stakes, I think that's totally true. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's again, that is, that is very in line right with, with, with him. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep, Yep. 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 Okay. Um, so everyone touches base to deal with possible consequences. Uh, Tristan wants to go check on Byron and make sure that uh, the adventure didn't harm him rain doesn't seem to have lost his tinker power but he also doesn't get any extra tokens
1: I really appreciate in this moment where rain has just has this moment of clarity he's like oh shit I gotta go back to that dream room tonight we broke it <laughs> guys what what's uh-huh. gonna-
0: and they're like so anyway,
1: <laughs> you're probably fine. Next topic.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You'll probably be fine if yeah. You'll probably be fine if you stay in your area. Yeah, but what if it's different? Yeah, whatever. Rain, just deal with it.
1: <laughs> Poor rain.
0: Yeah, it's great. Um. So ultimately, they offer Breakthrough a choice: either remain associated with the wardens but suffer confiscation and babysitting, or sever association with the wardens. Kinsey freaks out at the thought of losing her tech, but even Tattletale urges her to cooperate.
1: Yeah, I think on the one hand, the fact that Kenzie reacts so viscerally to the idea of her tech being taken away, to me, is a sign that, yeah, uh, maybe got to take that stuff away from her. The dependency here is getting bad. On the other hand, they better have a plan for this. They better have a plan for how to deal with her post-tech seizure because it is not going to be good for her. And they better have a way of dealing with that, right? Especially if you're going to split breakthrough up, if you're going to specifically tell them they're not allowed to do their group therapy thing with each other. If you're going to do that to Kenzie, you you better know what you're doing, buddy.
0: Yeah. And this is basically, I may be stretching things here, but this is basically the second time in the story she's lost all of her tech.
1: Yeah. 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 So, um question for you. Uh-huh. Are they going to scan her if sufficiently enough to get all the eye camera stuff out of her head? I mean, presumably Dragon has the ability to detect this stuff,
0: but uh, yeah. Will she? I mean, I would I would guess yes, but but I wouldn't I wouldn't assume yes, like like uh, I don't know. It, it wouldn't at all be surprising to learn in a few chapters that she has a secret what's in the do somewhere.
1: I mean, so. the only reason I'm bringing this up is because we had this whole scene where Rain made Kenzie remove one of her eye techs mm, out of her mm. head, right? And so she's mm-hmm. missing one, and now we could be in a situation where she's not going to have access to any of her tech for a long time. So all she has is the stuff that's already in her head. Um, yeah, so. and we
0: set this up well in advance, Scott. Yeah, This yeah. has been set up. Just thinking about it. That Don't was know. there for a reason. Yeah. I think you're right. Okay. Something along these lines, some, yeah. something to do with something to do with her having secreted a piece of text somewhere that becomes relevant at some point.
1: Yeah. I'm going to
0: throw in my lot with you.
1: That would certainly be a very Kenzie thing to do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yes, you cannot stop her from trying to do that. She was mm-hmm. basically doing it as he was talking to Victoria. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. So when I said do nothing, you did stuff still. Yeah. I just, mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. You, yeah. Okay. So then uh, Damsel is like, nah, I'm not going to cooperate. And then she tries to dramatically storm out, only to be stymied
1: by a doorknob. That's the most hilarious moment in this chapter to so me. Good. That she just like great big emotional storm out, walks up to the door, stands there awkwardly and then kicks it three times to, some- to have someone open the door for her. I, I kind of love the direction the story has taken with Damsel, because like it it, it likes to casually make fun of her but Uh never in like never like overly mean but like just in these small little moments like this there's also a moment where like everyone's talking up like how how in control victoria was in the shard land right like she's like wow look how victoria learned to navigate it so quickly and damsel's just like yeah i could have done that too Uh i just didn't i just didn't want to and it's just like it's it's this funny little image of damsel as this person that is like her whole shtick is falling apart around her in yeah. comical ways. It's just not working on anyone anymore, and she's having to deal with that in very interesting ways.
0: Yeah, it's because all these people kind of know the core of her. Yeah, and yeah. and she has no idea how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you're right that the story has been making her the butt of jokes occasionally, but also preserves. The ability to make her her terrifying sure. um, when needed, like you, you're still afraid. She could lash out and slash somebody with her claws if, if you push her too far. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's just a balance that's being maintained. Yeah. So Victoria takes the elevator up to Crystal's apartment, and as she's in the elevator, she begins to panic, but she's able to calm herself.
1: Yeah, I, I really like this. I mean, this is a moment that's specifically weird for her because she doesn't take elevators. This is, I think she says, the third time she's been on this elevator ever. Um, and just the the while she's sitting on the elevator, stuck in one place, not moving, um, the tingle from the temperature change triggers a memory of the burning and that triggers uh, the, the freaking out, the same kind of panic attack she was suffering while in the dreamland. I like this. I mean, I, I wonder if this ties into your whole uh waste connection at all in any of, way
0: of course it does so.
1: <laughs> but I, I when we can get to that in a second i just like it as this idea that like the physical effects of what happened to them in, in kirby's Dreamland are gone <laughs> uh but the mental effects are still absolutely there
0: that's good um well i i agree i, I think that like having victoria's never had what i would call a or more, more precisely, what she has called a panic attack in this story prior to the last arc. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she uses the the, the 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 thought that she she's panicking, panicking because she's in an elevator, like it, it it's an unusual and novel thing, s- symptom, whatever word you want to use, and and it's it's directly related to her brain getting all jumbled by the It's kind of like, kind of like how they say, if you get in like a, uh, one of those magnetic scanner machines, it can like kick your, kick your brain into weird states or whatever. It can, it can make you have like, you know, uh, transcendental experiences or, or, or what have you. And then, and then after you get out of the machine, you're still kind of settling down back into your normal state. Like, yeah. I, I don't think she's, I don't know if she's permanently changed. I don't know if she's just like, screwed up because she just got out of that situation but um i'm I'm definitely reading this as yet another indication of like not not we're not getting baseline victoria right now
1: yeah yeah and and i think i think the important part here is not like this kind of spiral panic attack whatever you want to call it is different from the ones that she had has had in the past Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, she has freaked out in the past. Right. She has had moments of like absolute freak out. Uh, but she specifically while in the dreamland notes how it's different than all those other ones. And by connecting the panic attack she's having right now to the fire and uh, to the burn, she suffered while in the shard realm. She's connecting this panic attack specifically to that mm-hmm. specific kind of thing. Mm hmm. So I, I agree with you.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's going to be really fun when I learn that all of these intricate connections that I'm stitching together across all these chapters are just complete bullshit. Um, so <laughs>
1: That's the name of the game, Matt. <laughs> yep.
0: So she touches base with her mom and Crystal, and she tries to act normal, she tries to play it off, but Carol knows that she's pulling away and being weird. And Carol like knows that Victoria saw her doing something terrible, and she's just freaking out and so yeah. carol starts confessing to all kinds of stuff basically she's like is it that i was a bad hero a bad lawyer a bad mom yeah sure i was all those things D- definitely just just tell me what you saw yeah um, and she's so freaked out that she she calls victoria cowardly and this isn't like a careful calculated jab like you you're kind of used to from carol this is just like a raw slip up
1: yeah it's it's awful um it, like I love how this, this. Starts almost immediately, right? Like she walks in the door, and us the reader, like, know this is on Victoria's mind. Like the moment she knocks on Crystal's door, and it says, "Mom answered." You're just like, "Ah, oh, fuck." Mm-hmm. Um, and and Carol picks up on on this weirdness immediately. I love this part. It's like, I thought we were mending bridges, bridges, and all of a sudden, and and the text even notes she didn't sound like my mother. No sternness, no strength, no fierceness. This is Carol, but it is not a Carol we've known at all. And and she immediately notices how Victoria is being guarded and needs to know about it she needs to know immediately um it, it's it's the same kind of fear that has always kind of dominated carol's life right mm-hmm. it, it's just in it, it a new direction she's terrified of, of what what what's going on what happened and it results in her lashing out in in, in, in you're absolutely right a, a very raw way attacking victoria just like Terribly but but not just that also right like she's so desperate she's not just attacking her she's using everything she she goes on the speech about how like how how much pride she feels in her how, how she loves the woman she's become how she was right about Amy and 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 all this stuff and and she's just like so desperate. To 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 say whatever she can. And I don't want to take it away from her. I don't want to say she doesn't mean any of these things. I don't she's just saying it to get a reaction out of Victoria. I don't think it's quite that. I think she does feel pride when she looks at Victoria. I think she does love her. I think she does actually regret the the position she took with Amy. Um but she's throwing all this out specifically in this moment. Just like, just tell me, just tell me, tell me. What is it?
0: What'd you see? Yeah. Well, I think desperation is making her uh finally become vulnerable for the first time because yeah. because yeah. desperation is the only thing that could make Carol open up and be actually vulnerable.
1: Sure. Yeah. I like that.
0: Because yeah, no, I I agree with you completely that she's she's not being manipulative here. She's gen, she's being honest. Yep. Um so the way I read this whole interaction in the end is that she doesn't actually say no Mark is definitely your biological father. Uh, So is the resolution supposed to be that Amy triggered and Carol supposes that Amy should have noticed that Victoria wasn't Mark's and because Amy doesn't say anything, therefore Victoria is definitely Mark's?
1: Yeah, I think so. So I've constructed a very complicated timeline. Let's go through it. Okay. So number one, Carol and Neil are banging on the side Mm -hmm. while carol and mark are banging let's say okay carol gets pregnant carol has a baby probably marks right cool we're cool we're Mm -hmm. cool fast forward a few years victoria triggers she's got carol's power but also uh uh-oh some neil power too and they're like well fuck (laughs) uh they don't quite understand a lot about the shards at that point so it's both Neil and Carol start freaking the fuck out because they think that this means that Neil is probably definitely Victoria's father. And so they're freaking out for like a whole year. They're just having a a year long freak out. Then Amy triggers. And for a while after a trigger, Carol kind of pulls away from Amy because she thinks that Amy knows the truth about him. She says specifically that like looks Amy gave her made her think that maybe she knew, but then like Amy never says anything and so I think just the, the the concept of time going by and Amy never say anything combined to Carol was like, oh, well, then it can't be true. Then mm-hmm. um, I, I think I think that's what's going on here. And the thing, the cool thing is that we know enough about Amy's power now that that just touching Victoria would indeed give her all the information she needs to know. Right. I think so. Um, and, and so we have to wonder if this is the truth. Why didn't Amy say anything or or. At any point to Victoria. Yeah. I wonder if we'll yeah. ever find that out. Yeah. But I mean, the conversation does end with this perfectly uh, phrased Mark is your father line, mm-hmm. which could mean anything. Right. <laughs> it could it could mean, yes, he is 100 percent your biological father. Or it could mean it doesn't matter who your biological father is. Mark is the one that raised you. Right. Mark is your father.
0: And also this implication that Carol doesn't actually know for sure yeah. because of the brain damage, which um okay I, I guess so the story's intentionally leaving a small question mark there but sure, but also yeah. also pushing us in the direction of probably Niels. Pro- well okay it's def so so they definitely banged. Yeah definitely and, and and as far as the question of were the shard visions accurate Shard vision was accurate Yes the shard now, vision
1: showed them banging uh Victoria extrapolated Yeah so
0: now I may be getting a little bit too galaxy brain here but it would be really interesting if they did bang the shard vision showed that but she's not neels that then then that would be like well the shard vision showed you something that was true but in a way that led you to make the wrong conclusion which would be fun
1: that sounds very shardy to me it does i mean the, regardless like this revelation has kind of fucked him up
0: yeah definitely definitely uh i mean yeah it's it's like just imagine if this had come out you know three years ago or whatever like it would have completely destroyed their team yeah. it would have been so devastating oh, Right. Yeah. i mean oh, yeah. yeah yeah
1: and i mean like the the text is mostly focused on carol and um and victoria here but this mm-hmm. is a revelation for crystal as well yeah who's learning something about her father
0: <laughs> right um Yeah, no, and it's, it's, I mean, her, her dead father, her, her tragically dead father. And tomorrow she's going to meet her resurrected, tragically dead mother. This is, this is a mind fuck for, for Crystal. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Cool. Yep. So Victoria removes herself from the situation, leaves through the balcony. And like we talked about last week, uh, yeah, we already talked about that. Uh, So then she smashes off her extra fingernail.
1: I don't know why like fingernail stuff is like the one thing I can't take. Like I've watched so many disgusting horror and gore <laughs> films where it's just like all this gross stuff. But you fuck with fingernails and you fuck with eyeballs. And I'm just like, yeah. hell no. Yep. Hate it. It's <laughs> gross.
0: Those mirror neurons, man. Yeah. Um,
1: I can just imagine like just pushing down like can you imagine (laughs) the strength it would take to push down on your finger so hard that the nail breaks off
0: well isn't it already damaged Uh, but yes no don't don't ask me that question that's horrifying I think uh, yeah I'm I'm done talking about this now Um, (laughs) so then she flies up and communes with the wretch which is now calm docile and obedient and the text says, "My hand trembled. The wretch's invisible hand was as steady as rock." Time to face the day, I thought. At least you're with me. It's going to be a rough one.
1: Nothing to worry about there at all. At least nope. you're with me.
0: Yep, everything's fine.
1: <laughs> I mean, let's let's not to mention the fact that uh, not only is it not safe to use powers right now, uh, you were also explicitly ordered to not use your powers as part of your probationary thing, right? <laughs> yeah i mean that's why she took the elevator
0: yeah (laughs) that's true that's a true fact uh, yeah no i forgot about that because it it was such an emotional scene it felt right you know it felt it felt like a a statement sure Um, sure. but but absolutely she's breaking her 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 yeah her probation so that she can commune with the interdimensional alien who uh, definitely doesn't have her best interests at heart
1: her bff
0: yep So next chapter 17.2 later that morning uh, I guess she takes a nap uh, the former new wave women prepare for an important meeting Scott I'm having uh, I'm, I'm like not sure how I managed to not realize what this meeting was going to be um, I, I, I guess I blame time having passed.
1: Yeah I mean it didn't really hit me what this meeting was going to be until we specifically see how nervous Crystal is and I'm like what would make Crystal nervous and I was like oh Oh,
0: no, it didn't hit me until they walked into the fucking room and she was standing there. So, well, yeah, good job. Thanks. Um, so, so the text emphasizes how quiet it is. So I think this is really interesting. There's this motif of quiet throughout the beginning of this chapter, Um, not only with the level of, ac- of activity outside being low because of the evacuation, but also because the snow is muffling what sound there is. And also Crystal is like floating silently around the house, which just just really underscores it.
1: Yeah, and Victoria's not floating, but she's, like, using her power to make herself walk softly. Which, let's just rem- remind ourselves again, she's not supposed to be using her powers.
0: Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Uh, there's so much great detail in the early part of this chapter in, in this relatively simple series of domestic moments in the apartment. <laughs> Victoria's trying to figure out which clothes she can borrow. Carol's putting huge amounts of effort into appearances, spending 15 minutes on her hair, wearing this like fake natural smile, trying to display steel. Uh, and and we just get these little like great little images, like the, the skillets that have been warped by Crystal's lasers. Um, yeah. And of course, Vicky hates eggs.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love the uh, let's give Carol credit for at least knowing that her daughter doesn't like eggs. Right. And it's not just, it's not just a, I don't like eggs thing. So I think of course these breakfast sandwiches will have no eggs because it specifically says that both, Crystals and Carol sandwiches do have eggs in them. It is just Victoria's that doesn't. Um, that's great. Yeah. I also like I think the laser warped skillet thing is a good reminder of just how, you know, how connected Crystal and her power are, which I think is like just fun in the moment to re- remind ourselves of that about Crystal. But we also meet Sarah here in a bit and we mm-hmm. learn that one of the reasons why this Sarah that we see is closer to her old self than some of the other guys we're going to meet in this chapter is Mm -hmm. specifically because of this concept of power being so ingrained and attached to who she was at all hours of the day, um, which is something that she has passed on to her daughter.
0: Absolutely. And also echoing throughout these recent chapters is this idea of like being in in, in line with your power, with your power attuned with your power um like they, yeah. they 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 kind of hold it against victoria that she's so she's so attuned with her agent she's so she navigates the shard world so easily um and here you know like like you said it kind of works both ways interestingly that Sarah's able to come back more easily because of that but also it's it's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what my point is other than <laughs> it's interesting that we have Crystal here as, as this person who has been consistently throughout the entire story portrayed as someone who is very much meshed with her power in a, in a day-to-day sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah, um, so do you think Carol spending 15 minutes on her hair was specifically because she was nervous because she's about to go see her sister uh, or specifically because her fine motor functions are still not working right Or both? I think
0: think the former, but also a little bit of both. Yeah. I keep going back
1: to her just failing to be able to cut carrots. Mm -hmm. And it makes me sad. Yeah. Me too. Yeah.
0: So uh, Scott, why doesn't, uh, no, why does, why does Victoria's inner monologue conceal from us the fact that the sweater was a gift she bought for Crystal? Okay. She gets the sweater out of the closet she puts Uh on. She wears it in front of Crystal. Then, only then, does she tell Crystal, hey, by the way, this was a goddamn birthday present for you you jerk so does does Wildbo hide this fact from us to make the joke work is it just to, just to be funny because it is funny it works or is there an elaborate implication of victoria being an unreliable narrator and hiding information from us again
1: i mean i think you know i want to support you and your theory so i'll say that one um okay. yeah i mean <laughs> my gut reaction was to say no this was all for joke um I mean, like, and and I don't love it. We've talked about this kind of thing before, right? I I don't don't love it. Um, But if you squint at it, I think you can see maybe there's a moment where she doesn't say out loud, but where she says, not my style, but it looked like it had been hadn't been worn yet. And it looked a damn sight like it was going to be left behind. And just like that, that inclusion of looked a damn sight like is enough. Like, I'm annoyed by this Uh that I think it's hinting at her recognition that this is something she gave her but it never comes yeah. right out and says it. Right. Um I mean I think it's just a misdirect yeah. for for a joke, which I'm not a huge fan of, but it's a very very small thing. Yeah. But I want to I want to support you and I want to support your your theories. Right. I mean honestly a big part
0: of me thinks that thinks that you're right and I think the first time I read it it just worked for me as a funny moment. Um but I I know that the reason you're all listening right now is for my <laughs> My Byron's chocolate takes. So this, and for the inevitable moment when I find out how fucking wrong I am and it's funny to you and you laugh, you laugh at me. So I'm going to continue on in this vein.
1: Well, I mean, the, the fun thing about this is there's a good chance you end up not being wrong, but not have it having anything to do with any of what you're talking about right here. Like there's a very good difference that like the the line between <laughs> Shard and Vicky uh-huh. are merging and but this has nothing <laughs> yeah, to do the, with it. Yeah the sweater it. thing
0: was just a joke though. Yeah. Yeah yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. But
1: you get to you get to take credit for it though. That's, that's the wonderful that's thing. That's true. Yeah.
0: So it's really interesting to track what a positive development this mending of her relationship with her force field is turning out to be or or at least it appears to be. Uh, right. She uses it to, to telekinetically grab a new sweater without destroying anything, and she thinks that now clothes can just be clothes because she has armor that she trusts.
1: Yeah, uh, like I I, I want to give her credit for it, right? I mean we've talked several times throughout the story about like would Victoria ha- getting control of the wretch be a symbol of progress? And I think at different points in the story, you and I have both said yes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of clothes are just clothes and not a protective armor for me, I think is a positive development as well. However, I I mean, I think we've linked this to an open door between the shard who, hey guys, shards, bad, Mm -hmm. right? Bad. Um, so I find it very hard to just be completely positive about this. I find it very hard to just look at this and be like, yeah, good job. Good job. Doing good. Um especially when we have specifically connected it to hunter who has behaved more and more deranged as time has gone on, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe it's just hunter specific shard is like that, and victoria's shard is gonna actually be the one nice one right maybe i don't know sure I mean, look the shard changes the user, and the user changes the shard right, so maybe. Yeah what we've done is actually made good shard.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've been talking for a while about, about the theme of communication and connection. Yeah. So like it, it it's, I would, I would almost more expect it to be the case that everyone being so skeptical and um prejudiced against Victoria for being aligned with her shard is, is, is them being wrong and Victoria being in, in the right that like, Hey, the goal should be, not to be dominated by your shard, but to be in sync with your shard and, and then to kind of work together with your shard to bring the pair of you to a healthy and, and stable place like therapy, et cetera. Um,
1: So what you're saying is the key to entropy is to quote Tom Hardy's venom symbiosis.
0: Definitely. It's symbiosis. (laughs) Symbiont. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so they head to the Warden's HQ. Victoria ruminates on the nature of different types of heroes. She spends quite a while thinking about Eidolon and how nobody liked him, almost resenting him for his power, uh, in contrast to somebody like Legend who came off as inspiring, um, uh, basically just musing about how different people give off different impressions. But all of this is really to draw an analogy to Valkyrie, the most intimidatingly powerful person currently in the building, who they are heading to meet.
1: My setup sense is tingling, Matt. Uh-huh. Um, we spend a long, long, long time talking about Eidolon. Several several paragraphs here. Yeah. Could could he be coming back? Are we going to get Flock, Flock Dolan? Are we going to get Seamer Dolan? Labrad Embringer Eidolon? Labrad
0: Dolan. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And I think the answer is, since you asked that in a way where the answer has to be yes, uh, then yes.
1: Interesting. Well, no, if the uh, answer is no. Uh,
0: I just, I just mean like we know that Valkyrie has Eidolon and we just talked about him for a few paragraphs. So mm-hmm. I, I, I bet we're going to see him again. I don't know if it's going to be a clone. It might just be that she brings out his power, uh, which is one that she's mentioned that she has before in ward too. So sure. that's been kind of foreshadowed.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So anyway, they meet aunt Sarah And I love, like, the weird friction as Carol seems grumpy that she wasn't consulted about this. She's just so mad at Valkyrie. I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, overall, it's such a great emotional, heartwarming scene, though.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful scene. I I love the bit where Sarah, like, almost stops the hug from Crystal because she's just not sure. Um, But they hug anyway and it's this beautiful moment and and crystal is weeping and you know you remember a crystal who is like at the start of this book like severely depressed she's lost her whole family basically mm-hmm. and here's her mom um i i, I kind of get i kind of get why carol is a little upset here i don't know like i just you think about this idea that like you lose someone they die you mourn them you start the painful process of moving on, and now they're back because some former birdcage villain that you're not sure if you trust entirely has brought them back to life. I kind of get it. I mean, like we've seen with with Marquis that uh, Amy even says it, and I don't think she's entirely wrong here, that, that Carol is a person that, that holds grudges. And when she doesn't like someone, she's not just going to be like, OK, I'm fine now. Um, and so I could see I could see her being one of the people that had a very hard time being OK with Valkyrie, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So sure, I kind of get it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that all, I think that all follows it. I mean, I think, I think she's just really, really uncomfortable with the whole situation on top of, yeah, I, on top of the Valkyrie element. So
1: yeah, yeah. Also, remember when like two hours ago I talked about how I banged your husband? Right.
0: That's totally gonna have to be talked about in the in the near future. Yeah, yeah. Te-
1: technically, it wasn't your husband though, since you're not exactly Sarah. It Doesn't count. Right.
0: Yep. Whoop. Yep. It was only ninety percent adultery (laughs) uh so vicky does get to cape nerd out a little bit with valkyrie not too much because kira doesn't want to get in trouble for giving information to to the loose cannon from breakthrough although she seems to want to um she also refuses to answer the question about jessica and bonesaw but she implies that there sure is something to be asked oh
1: this is driving me crazy i I need you valkyrie you're my ticket to understanding this why are you doing this to me yeah Um,
0: yeah
1: one of the things I specifically love here Matt about the the conversation with Valkyrie specifically to Sarah is there's this moment where how much is she and 90 percent 80 percent 70 percent and that is a specific reference to back in the last chapter with um Victoria talking to Dragon about how much she, how, what the lie detector was saying about her saying, "I am Victoria Dallin," right? She's saying, "Was it ninety percent? Was it eighty percent? Was it seventy percent true? How much was it?" Uh-huh. Dragon implies even less than that. Um, but but I mean that is a specific callback, right? And and so you know you're you're starting to notice a pattern, a theme across this this arc of how much of a person are you, like like how uh-huh. how like what what this this. Caring line of what percentage of that person are you even anymore um and and i I wonder if this is going to be something we care forward into the rest of the chapters,
0: yeah, I like that parallel, and I also like the fact that when Valkyrie kind of sits sits back and thinks like, yeah, now that I think of it it's it's closer to ninety percent because her cape life and her and her and her civilian life were so intertwined, yeah and that and that brings Victoria reassurance Mm -hmm. and now that you've framed it this way i realize it's not just reassurance that sarah is actually sarah it's it may be it may be reassurance that victoria is actually victoria
1: oh i like that i hadn't thought of that but that's that's fantastic and that that makes that those dot those connected dots like more explicitly purposeful
0: yeah because she's like, oh, yeah, like I I do have I am similar. My cape life and my civilian life are intertwined, meaning if I am getting screwed around by cape shit, by shard shit, then it's not going to be as bad as if I had a separate civilian life.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I like that.
0: Cool. So uh, Valkyrie then sends Victoria to Vista. Oh, tells my her, God. Tells her that uh, she'll try to arrange it for Victoria to get some answers. Oh, my God. Um, she, gets, she gets weirded out when Valkyrie calls her child, uh, which is funny. Yeah, I um, like that. Understandable, but too.
1: But, but, but Vista, let's move on.
0: Let's move on. Uh, you want to move on? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, she barges into Vista's dorm room and finds her doing some harmless naked uh, cuddling with Byron. Oh, my God. Man, this whole thing is gold. I just love this. And just like Tristan coming out of the room and just loving every bit of what's happening. I just, It's just so delightful to it me.
1: It is the best i love it so much yeah i love like it's just like it's almost as if we get to exhale it, yeah. like you know even even 17.1 was a really intense chapter still because we're dealing with the immediate aftermath of what happened she's getting yelled at by her her defiant dad um and then she confronts her mother about this whole thing and it's really emotional impactful um and, and in this we just kind of get to breathe a little bit and laugh and feel comfortable and laughing because this is really fucking funny it's really funny and it's funny not in in a way where some things in this book are so horrible that they're hilarious but in way where it's just (laughs) genuinely delightful um and i i it's it's needed i think wild recognizes he needs he needs to give his readers these moments and and we're, we're we got them here and it it just works on me so well i love it
0: it's really good comedy. It's really good psychology where you have Vista who she's been trying so hard to put up this like like the new tough Vista. Yeah. She's tough. She says tits all the time, but she's <laughs> she's like so embarrassed and mortified about this. It's like yeah. it's really revealing how much of a facade, I guess, you know, yeah. or the, the all, all the toughness is.
1: Um, and, 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 you know, a good thing happens. Like we learned that Byron's time in the dream room actually has helped. Accelerate his healing a little bit like specifically. He's got motivation now. He's told about Vista Mm. Um, And so a good thing came out of it and that's great.
0: So I was gonna mention that earlier. That's that's when I said Byron and then I Stopped and moved on because I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole prematurely But now we can go down the rabbit hole, which is that here's proof that the that going into the shard world Rejiggered their brains because like he's magically recovered from brain damage like that, that's big. That's like a. He, and he still seems like Byron. He doesn't seem weird, mm-hmm. but but it definitely is like, okay, look, look, here's here's the proof that going into the Shard world and then coming back out altered their brains. Cause his brain is better. Not 100%, but a lot better.
1: So. Yeah. Chocolate.
0: Proof. Yep. There's the. See, it's all. It's It's all connected. It's all all connected. You know what's going to
1: happen in the next chapter? Someone's going to offer Byron some chocolate and he's going to say, no, thank you. I don't like chocolate. (laughs) And then he's going to look in the camera at you specifically.
0: Uh, You're right. You're right. That's exactly (laughs) what's going to happen. And if it doesn't, then I'll just pretend it did. Okay. Uh, So Victoria once again threatens dire consequences if Byron hurts Vista. And then later does the same to Vista. Uh same same strategy she took with Weld, uh, which worked really, really well, if you'll recall. Um hey, you know, I'm wondering if Victoria realizes that sometimes people just break up.
1: Yeah. Uh no. Uh ladies out there, if you ever hurt my pal Matt, I will I will literally kill you. <laughs> I have no choice. That's what friends are for. Literally murdering their friends' exes, mm-hmm, regardless okay. of how the relationship ended. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Literal murder. Okay. Um and like in all seriousness. Yeah, she gets a little over overly serious here, but I think it's a sweet sentiment. Right. And I love that it's both sides. Right. Like she says to Byron, hey, don't hurt my friend. But she also says to Vista, hey, Byron's fragile. I care about him. Please, like, be be kind, be kind, be conscious, be aware. And I think that's sweet. I do.
0: Definitely. I'm I'm being a bit silly here. I'm more pointing out the through line that every time one of her friends gets in a relationship, she does this thing. Where she practically slams them up against the wall and threatens them, yeah. Um, um, which again is 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 her 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 heartfelt intentions come through. Yes, you're right. That's true. Mm-hmm. And then of course we learn that uh, Tristan is going to spend some time with Nate later, and I really want to hear how that goes. I'm just so so invested in Tristan's redemption arc in the story.
1: Yeah, me too. I I I. I love these characters. Uh, even when you were convinced that Byron was basically an evil Willy Wonka chocolate monster. I was in love with both of them. And I really hope they're able to find some balance and happiness. Like, like e- e- if it's stuck together still or if it's some way to be apart, I, I just I just hope that they're able to get there. I really I'm, I am as invested as you are in this. Yeah. Um And I I I, I wanted to be a pl- forgive him, Nate, please. Yeah, please,
0: please forgive him. Victoria then takes the mortified Vista up to the garden walkway where another meeting takes place. Clockblocker and man win greet little Missy <laughs> and they have such a great interaction.
1: I was uh, going to give you shit for man win and then I just decided it's too good. It's
0: it's it's my best work. Um, it is. And this is the best line in fiction where Vista says grown enough to chuck you off this ledge. I've mourned you once. I can do it again. I, I just, I love that so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. And really this whole scene just, it does feel like old friends catching up. Like, like it we does. notice, we notice there's small things that are a bit off. Um, but I think the only reason we notice those is that there are a lot of other things that feel right. So, you know, the, the characters are noticing things aren't hundred percent right. But like we, we as the readers only notice that because on some level, these do feel like the, the old characters
1: yeah. And, and I'm kind of glad. I think one of the things the text does very smartly here is very specifically mention that Dennis is acting a little bit off mm-hmm. because, I mean, frankly, it's been so long since I've like interacted with Dennis through this text. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember what he was like specifically right yeah. like like i broadly yes but specifically no so i really appreciate that the text emphasizes that for us and also gives gives us some specific physical differences to map the personality differences onto right like clockbocker's got this like weird frozen hair uh man win is like a cyborg um I, I think i think it's important to establish that mm-hmm. so so we haven't hung out with these characters in a while but they are not quite the same Mm-hmm. In in many ways, um, mm-hmm. but I think you're right that the the shooting the shit amongst each other is very much transported me back to some of the the wards chapters in Worm, mm-hmm. and I yeah. I really like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, mixed in with the with the the heartwarming and the and the camaraderie and the good feels, we've got this really great stuff. Like, you guys all left me alone. Vista shrugged as she said it, like it was a passing comment. You deserve the abuse. Well, Dennis replied, a full one-word statement. Couldn't really help it.
1: (laughs) It's like it's dark, like bordering on, but it's fun, right? Like it's like it's really dark. Like they're just yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: uh, Well, just I mean you're right. This is this is trying to communicate like. I was fucked up. I, I was all alone because because yeah. you died, and I'm actually kind of angry about this. And and maybe on some, I mean, she's not saying this right. This is all subtextual, but she she's like, look, I'm I'm angry at you for dying yeah. on me. I I, I kind of know that's irrational, but that's where I am. And Dennis is Dennis is basically aware of that, right? Like like you yeah. can read into his response. Couldn't really help it. Like like I I get that I get that you feel that way, but. I would have prevented it if I could, you know, so what
1: well, I love, I love you pull this out because like the text going out of its way to say a full one word statement, mm-hmm. right? Like, like it, it changes the sentence so much because just like, well, Dennis replied, couldn't really help it. That reads a certain way. Well, Dennis replied, a full one word yeah. statement couldn't really help it it emphasizes the pause it emphasizes the seriousness and and the recognition kind of yeah. in, in his head like yeah i i get it yeah like, i'm genuinely sorry like i it it sucks yeah and I, I, there was nothing i could do totally I, I i'm glad we got to read into
0: those two lines of dialogue because yeah. I, I love those so much <laughs> yeah and too. so the chapter ends with victoria and man win putting their heads together to understand the shard realm
1: the ultimate curveball is that kid win now becomes key to the survival of the species
0: this is just for you scott (laughs) all right guys this is a discussion question for this week because yeah here here, here it is um
1: wow you could have you could have teed that up a little smoother
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i could have uh character reunions are a great opportunity to show how things have changed in story and with characters Describe a favorite character reunion moment in Parahumans and how it was used to communicate important character understanding.
1: That's a good question. I like that a lot. Um, and it doesn't have to just be in this chapter, right? I mean, there's been yeah. character reunions throughout this book.
0: Throughout, throughout Worm 2, I, I can think. I, as soon as, you were actually the one who, who said something to do with character reunions, I think. And then mm-hmm. I immediately, immediately many, many character reunion instances throughout parahumans jumped to mind and i was like yeah this is a good thing to talk about yeah
1: that is true i, I didn't think about that. i was i was thinking specific uh sequel moments but i think you're absolutely right and i think yeah. those are worth talking about as well
0: yeah all right that's all we've got for you this week on we've got ward you guys are all part of the show so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading
1: you can reach out to us via our email address at gotwormpod at gmail.com or at our Twitter account at gotwormpod. I said at too many times in that my personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at chocolate cadbury (laughs) dinner mail.
0: If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, (laughs)
1: YouTube,
0: Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world, you can listen to podcasts.
1: And as always, you can find all the content we make at our website, doofmedia.com. If you're ever wondering where our content is, you can listen to it on the website at any time. I think Libsyn lets you download those episodes as well, so you don't even have to stream them through our website. You can just download them. Um, it's all there, especially um, what do you want to talk about? Um, Deep Impact just hit 100 episodes. That's yeah. It's a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um let's see what else what what else is going on. I don't know. What do
1: know. we make? What is the what do we do? Here? I don't
0: remember. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean I mean what you say on episode 8, it's going Strong, Do the Right Thing." What what are the wor- the words this week for "Do the Right Thing"? I always like to I always like to report those um and I'm totally totally I just wrote my story. So how do you um, not
1: know the words if you just wrote them?
0: Uh, because I am I have been talking for t- two hours.
1: Would you like me to give them They're to you? They're
0: false, useless, wicked, acrid. Really just a lot of negative, negative words.
1: Yeah, super um, negative. Yeah. Um, we do have our Dark Tower podcast coming up. It has a name now. Do you want to know the name, Matt?
0: I, I do want to know the name.
1: You you did I mean we picked the name on Friday. Yeah. You know the name.
0: I know. I know it. But you tell So me.
1: we're gonna call it I don't know if it's the Kingslingers or Kingslingers. Which do we like best? I like Kingslingers. I like it well, simple. I mean the t- name of the book is The Gunslinger. So I like King Kingslingers. Kingslingers. That's where <laughs> Kingslingers, a Dark Tower podcast. That's what we're doing. That's what it's called. That's right. So uh we're working on some artwork right now and uh we're gonna try to get that thing up. A S A P excited. But, but what ASAP means is yes. anybody's
0: guess. Yeah, just like possible is a fantastic weasel word, isn't it?
1: It is. It's wonderful.
0: Um, also, we did Hunt for the Willer People on the Cast. Yes, we did. That was, that was fun.
1: I, I love that everybody. movie. That was a yeah. really great episode. Yep. Um, and this week we're doing more Shyamalan, I think, after Earth.
0: Yeah, we are.
1: We are. Yeah, yeah, after Earth.
0: That's right. So if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in the fan art contest that just wrapped up, voting in the costume contest, which is just beginning, um, hanging out with us for live streams of our recording sessions, and our monthly fun doof hangout sessions. I think this month we're gonna be doing uh what's that game called?
1: Um it's not called Lie to Me, because I got that wrong because that's a show on HBO. I think it's called Would I Lie to Would You?
0: Would I Lie To You. Yeah. It's a game where you where you
1: lie. And I believe we're doing that on Friday the eighteenth. Um and Matt will be blind that day so he can't come.
0: That's true. And I'm not gonna explain anything else about that statement. Um <laughs> and as always Make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, Patreon.com/Wildbo, and donate to him as well. This is his world; we are just playing in it. And this week, special thanks to new patrons: uh, Bidoof's E and P, Brandon P, uh, Era Slice, and Kirk M. New Doof dancers: David A and Born Chat. New Doof troop member: Samuel M, and new Supreme Leader Doof: Ryan R. Wow,
1: guys. You're, you guys you are, all great. are wonderful. Yeah. I I we're we're growing like crazy. Um we love it. We're so excited. We hope we have a bunch of new Dark Tower fans as part of our community here pretty soon. I'm sure you guys will get along with them great. Um it's an exciting time. Thank you so much to everyone who is who is you know donating some of your hard-earned money to help keep our lights on and keep us growing and keep us doing stuff. It it really It means the world to us. This has been an incredible. The last two months have been incredible for us. And yeah, it's all because of you guys.
0: 300 patrons, actually. So that's that's a big deal. So we can't can't overstate how much we appreciate that.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, you know, we love you guys that can't afford to donate. Also, we love all of our fans equally um, because there are still tons of ways to help us out. If you can't donate, you can share our podcast. It's so much like if you follow us on Twitter, um, even if you have like five followers, retweet that that podcast episode. You never know. You never know who's gonna stumble upon it, right? Um, we've had people find our podcast lately just by searching the word "worm" in YouTube. Aww. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the point is, share the podcast. Um, you can also go to iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcasting platform and leave a rating and a review. All this stuff really helps us. It it it. Even just downloading it helps us. Especially if you're listening to the the live version right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm addressing those people. I'm talking to them. You guys better. I just better download this episode. I will know. I will find you.
0: Yeah, somehow. All right, that's all we have for you on the show this week. Next week we'll be back with only two chapters.
1: Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. We're back to two chapters. See you then.